I'm good, man. How are you? I can't believe. I mean, folks don't know this. You were just in Japan like 24 hours ago or something. I don't even know. Yeah. 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 Incredible. So, uh, and uh, <laughs> guess what? In the chat is our our uh, our, our other co-conspirator, uh, Deb, a study of UAPs, the host of Deb's Data Dojo. She's hanging out right now. And when the Who get up out of here, Led Zeppelin is going to start first. As a result of the coin flip, the honest coin flip of one David Smethers of Manchester. Uh, and once um, once uh, the who departs, we're going to get Deb in here because she's going to be voting on who had the best topic. Whichever team produces the most thought-provoking topic today will win a piece of AI artwork for each team member plus their associated mystery guest by Money Nathan. All right, can anybody applaud? Can there be any? Oh, marvelous. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Thank you, man. Thanks. Come on, Thanks, people. Everybody. I'm excited right. for this like, competition. A, this you know? is not your first rodeo, Vinny, Graham, Smithers, <laughs> <laughs> Christopher. Come on. And and even Davey's got a podcast now, Shifting Gears, man. You want to get your mental health in order, get your life in order, get all that Cheeto dust off your fingers, get on your bicycle, and uh, and, and get with Dave, Davey's podcast, Shifting Gears. Anyway, um, so Nathan, at the start of the show, uh, we wanted to get, uh, in all seriousness, because I do take these bands very seriously, they have changed uh, the world of music and to some degree the world. Um, uh, okay, DJ, you're clipping bad on my end. Okay, so Kurt, I'm going to switch over to the other band. of, uh, of um, But F, before I do that, I just want to say that we want to talk about uh, these bands and, and, and get, get these guys' thoughts. And uh, like Vinny said, he's not all that passionate about these classic bands. But nonetheless... Um, Called you out. Let, no, no, that, no, that's okay. I mean, it, that's okay. There's nothing wrong okay. with that. They, but they, they, they represented England uh, and changed rock music. And if I were a British person, even if I didn't love this music, I would be inspired by that because of the fact that it, it changed the world of music and to the world... It, uh, the, the whole world to a degree as, as evidenced by that one Beatles documentary. So Vinny, uh, we'll start with you just because you're at the top of the screen next to myself and take it away on the Who or Led Zeppelin. 
Well, yeah, you said it all then. Like, I'm just not that up on kind of rock music in general. You know, I I come from a kind of hip-hop rap background. Uh, you know, I was pumping Run DMC in the mid-80s at school when everyone else was listening to kind of cheesy pop music and stuff, and that's been my life pretty much ever since. Now, what I will say is that I'm sure when any kind of Zeppelin or Who tune comes on, if I'm out, uh, you know, on the town, I'll always recognize it and I'll always dance and have a good time to it, but it's just not my genre of music. So I'm sorry, man. <laughs> That's okay. That's okay. That's all right. Um, so I want to introduce everybody. Uh, this young lady was brought to us by uh, a friend of Cab, Macti McCabe, uh, who's watching uh, now, I'm sure. Uh, and one of our, our absolute buddies, uh, uh, just a, a great human being and a UFO experiencer. And he found another experiencer, Miss uh, Jillian here. So Jill, uh, first of all, say hello and then take it away with what your thoughts on these bands. Hi. Um... Yeah, it's nice to meet everyone. I'm really pleased to be here. It looks like you guys have a really good crack every time you're doing these. Um, so really nice to meet you all. Um, I think Led Zeppelin and The Who, it was an era, not really my era, my parents' era, um, where there was the mods and rockers. I don't know if anyone's seen the movie Quadrophenia. And it was an iconic movie with an iconic album. Um, I did actually get to see The Who in 1996 at the Prince's Trust uh, in London. I think there was, um, it was The Who, Bob Dylan, Alanis Morissette. And so they were nearly past it then, but they were fantastic on stage. And I think that kind of rock really changed the kids of that time and what they were listening to. Because um, my dad went to see them in 75, I think, and bought the, the Who Live at Leeds album. And so I got, brought up sort of listening to that um and it's just something to get going to you know i love it it is amazing i heard the who talk about that they came out with some really cool styles and i can't remember the name of the club they started off in and then they would see guys in the audience the next week they would be wearing the same thing that the who were wearing on stage and then eventually they started wearing outfits and the who was actually copying what they were wearing. It's like, Oh wait, these guys have got something cooler than the we're wearing. I, I saw an obscure documentary on the who uh, on an air, airline flight and, and, and saw that. Um, also want to mention um, that um, Julie is in the chat. Uh, the jewel of the Nile, the jewel of Indiana is in the chat moderating for us. Uh, Deb is also in there and hello everybody, Kurt, Harry, man, paranormal pixie, Lara and the rest of the homies. And um, thank you for that. And, and let's move on to a professional musician, a professional drummer, someone inspired by uh, John Bonham and, uh, and our friend, the, the host of the UFO Thinker podcast, which is absolutely amazing pod uh, in, in Frank. How's it going, everybody? Pleasure to be uh, back again, once again. And uh, yeah, yeah. From if I mean, if I'm honest, when it comes to Zeppelin and the Who, I think it's probably not like my two all favorite band, you know, favorite bands of all time. For me, it was if we're talking sort of old school rock, it's probably more of Jimi Hendrix and and Sabbath and things like that. Um, but if you're talking, you know, those, that kind of era. But having said that, if it was between those two bands, I think the one that I always connected with the most was definitely Led Zeppelin. Just from a drumming point of view, like there was something about Bonham, the sound of his kit, the way he played beats and things. Yeah, I mean, everything about his drumming was pretty incredible. So that's the one out of the two that I would be proud to represent and I'm proud to represent him this evening. <laughs> Can I get eight, man? Uh, before, <laughs> I, I, before I bring on uh, Frank Milburn, I was remiss 
in mentioning that Vinnie Adams up at the top of your screen next to me is the host of the Disclosure team, part of uh, UAP Media UK. And this is uh, another amazing show with prolific guests. Uh, we're lucky in that uh, we have a couple of podcasters on here that are setting an example for both Nathan and I that are bringing on amazing guests and having great conversation and certainly aren't as cracking as many jokes as I am, which is probably a good thing. <laughs> uh, Frank Milburn, a uh, former British paratrooper, uh, intelligence analyst, and all-around badass and somebody who is ready to copy down a nine-line. Um, how's it going, Frank? Frank, are you with me? Maybe his... Frank, are you there, brother? Uh, Frank is frozen in time. Frank, are you there? Yeah, can you hear me okay? Yeah, we got you now, brother. Talk to us about Led Zeppelin and the Who. Okay, I'll come back. Can you hear me, mate? Yeah, we can hear you. We can't see you. If you need to turn off your video, well, we'll tell them, right, Nathan, is to turn off the video and go audio. But for now, let's go with uh, the Mancunian uh, legend, Dave Smethers. Oh, thank you for that, DJ. Great to see everybody. Yeah, I uh, do like Zeppelin. I was into punk at the time, and I remember punk and mods. That ages me a bit. But I did like a lot of rock bands as well. Zeppelin was great. I always remember Jimmy Page with his double guitar, double uh, six-string lead guitar, doing the Stairway to Heaven. Houses of the Holy, I think that had a UFO on the front. Then they had another album with the crop circles on. So they were quite into it, I seem to remember. And I love The Who. I remember The Who. I don't remember. Clearly, I'm not that old. But I remember watching the video of Who on Woodstock <laughs> when Pete yeah. uh, Townsend smashed his guitars to pieces. And apparently, when he did that, he had to try and put them together again the next morning on his tour. Imagine that. <laughs> a load of Fender Strats smashed to pieces. Imagine that. You'd have to... Anyway, so I love The Who, but I didn't quite love them as much as Zeppelin. And Zeppelin was like a mix of folk, rock, and blues as well. Brilliant band. Brilliant band. And he wore the baseball caps the right way around, didn't he? <laughs> <laughs> I told you, I come from the hip hop background. Exactly, so, none, of that, none of that. <laughs> you youngsters, yeah. I'll give you that one, Dave. I'll give you, you that know, one. These, Nathan, these kids these days. I know. Um, all right, so we got Frank Milburn back, so we'll get back in order with Frank. And if Frank, if, if, if you're having pixelation, you can turn your video off and just go audio. Um, if we're not able to hear you. So let's give it a go and see how it goes. And if not, we'll just have you turn the video off and go audio. Go ahead. Okay, mate. Yeah, um, I'd say two fantastic bands. Um, they were definitely, I'll definitely be here at Tayland because I went to uh, Rudolf Steiner Waldorf School in okay. 1977. I was seven years old. Stand, stand, stand by one, Frank, because we're getting, we're getting a delay. So let's try to go audio. We'll miss your, your lovely face, but go audio only, and let's see if we can hear you now. Go ahead. Okay, is that better, mate? Test. Yeah, let's see how that goes. Is that better now? Well, I can hear you, so so go ahead, and okay. we'll see how it goes. Yeah, so I went to high school. Yeah. Yeah, so I was seven, and I was in a, in a house with these, with these guys I lived and the brothers were all like 14 and they were all heavily into like Led Zepp, the Stones, the Who, you know, Patti Smith, um, Pink Floyd. Um, so I was brought up very much with that. And I have to say, I mean, I love the two bands. I really couldn't choose between the Who and Led Zepp because they both got very distinct music styles. I both love, I love 
both of them. And also, what happened was, uh, you know, with my stepbrother, we really kind of did like a, a whole kind of who led set from like the 90s onwards. And um, it's something that, you know, when we're together, we always play in the car together. It's like, you know, the, the who led Zeppelin or, or Rolling Stones. Um, yeah, two of my favorite bands. I, I couldn't choose between them. They're amazing. It's got to make you guys so proud to 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 have these bands. Graham, what's your impressions? You you were around uh, somewhat. You're my age, so you were around for you know while the Who was ongoing and Led Zeppelin before they passed. What, what's your what's your take? Well, first of all, I've got to say, I, I feel like I'm in the world's worst Brady uh, Brady Brunch tri uh, tribute here. Where everybody <laughs> around me. <laughs> so I'll get that out of the way first. Um, <laughs> As far as the Who and Zeppelin, well, when I was a kid and I didn't know any better, I used to wonder why a Zeppelin could fly if it was made out of lead. So that, that, was, that, that was the start. But um, And Dave's just nicked me stairway to heaven. I was going to say, I'm, I'm on a stairway to heaven if I'm on the, on the DJ Calling All Beings show. So I'll get out of the way. To be honest, I was never a metalhead. So I, I, I was always brunt with uh, punk and new wave when I was young, when I was in the 70s. And a bit of disco as well. So um, Vinny's going to, I can see Vinny cringing. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> oh, no, 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 no. I love disco music, man. And Scar as well. So um, a bit of everything, really. Uh, but as far as the Who was concerned, well, yes, they used to break instruments. But Pete Townsend apparently used to break them carefully. Because as Dave was saying, it was always a case of trying to put them back together again. Wow. So that was apparently how they did it. He used to—I I don't know how they used to do it, but they used to do it in a way that they could put them, you know, much easily back together again. So whether that's like some kind of urban legend or not, but that's something I've read before um, because they were just going through too many. <laughs> so, <laughs> but yeah, and you, you can't—you can't toward you, the the end, Graham. They should have been able to afford one for each day of the week. You would have thought so, year. yeah. They were breaking some like a hundred at every tour. Yeah, it was quite it was quite a lot. So obviously it cost them a hell of a hell of a lot of money. But I think it got to the point where the, the, a lot of bands emulated them as well for spurious reasons, like you know, a, a string would break or, or they wouldn't work properly, or they were breaking amps that wouldn't work properly as well. So it, it, it set a trend off. So there you go. I love it. Yeah, it you know what it is is if you're using the fender and you're about to get to the part where you're gonna break it up, you tell the guitar tech. Bring out the Epiphone. We'll switch out real quick. Same colors. Nobody will know the difference. Let me smash the hell out of the Epiphone. <laughs> um, anyway, um, before we get to Davey, we'll go to Christopher Sharp. This gentleman is a, uh, a lot of people don't realize that he probably forgot more about rock history than I know. I've had some discussions on the phone with him. So Christopher, my friend, uh, what do you have to say about the Led Zeppelin and the Who? Well, you know, um, the Who developed from a group called the Detours. Um, you know, they. Um, so I'm just looking at Wikipedia here. Um, Paul, <laughs> Paul, Paul, <laughs> Paul, <laughs> I show off my knowledge there, but um, yeah, no, no, I, I, I don't know. Like, I, I love like Pinball Wizard and, and songs like that. Um, by by the Who, like they're they're amazing. Obviously, like. Um, Keith Moon, guitarist and stuff. Haven't so much got into Led Zeppelin at all, but um, I guess it was like that movement really of like rock bands that there was um, there was a, a reaction in terms of punk music, you know. And um, I see it's I don't know. I see I, I see like I don't know, man. Like it's it's so difficult to get my thoughts across in terms of British music and how kind of like one reacts to the other and then there's a rivalry between two bands and stuff like that i just like the, the love 
I, I love the mosaic of it all, you know, just, um, but yeah, yeah. Um, I think the Who's got to be my favorite band though. So yeah, out of those I, two. I love it. I love it, man. I love, bring it, man. Um, Davey Johnson, as you can see, I've switched over. In honor of these bands, I've switched over to the UK hat, which I bought for my wife. She said it doesn't fit her quite right. Well, it fits me great. Uh, good luck on my part. Um, go ahead. <laughs> Davey, what say you, brother, about the Who and Led Zeppelin? I am from a musical family. My grandmother was an organist in the theatres in London. My dad is a jazz bass player. My brother is a rock singer and songwriter who lives in Germany. I think that was following sort of the uh, David Hasselhoff route to rock. <laughs> he moved to Germany and he'll kill me for saying that, but there we go. Um, but yeah, I, I have got not a musical bone in my body, but I love listening to music. And last time I was on here, I got referred to as Keith Moon, so I'm slightly disappointed I'm not on The Who this time. But having said that, <laughs> as Chris Bledsoe told Grant Cameron, the message is in the music and referring back to Kashmir. And you've only got to look at, I am a traveller of both time and space to be where I have been, to sit with elders of the gentler race the world has seldom seen. They talk of days for which they sit and wait. All will be revealed. Ah, how I love Davy Johnston, Nathan. Let me count the ways. Uh, that was brilliant, Nathan. Beautiful, just beautiful. <laughs> that was incredible. Yeah. What's your thoughts? Well, yeah, my musical chops were uh, sort of created in the '90s uh, era of grunge. I uh, was a big fan of Rage Against the Machines, uh, Tom Morello. Uh, that made me much more interested in Led Zeppelin, uh, Jimmy Page, and his guitar playing. Of course, their influence from the Mississippi Delta Blues was also really exciting for me. Um, both bands have incredibly iconic sounds though. I mean, you, you can't like go anywhere basically without hearing something from those, those bands. They've made a huge impact on the world of music and cinema and TV. But, uh, you know, if I had to pick, I would definitely go with Zeppelin. I just love that, uh, ethos and, and hard kind of gritty sound. That's, that's my thing. Thank you, brother. Yeah. I know those, uh, well put. Uh, and just, you know, a little bit of a tour of, of your musical loves. Um, I'm, I'm a fan of, of the 90s also uh, and the 80s because uh, that was my high school years was the 80s. Uh, but I would say this, um, if I can use the word anthematic, you know, a lot of the Who's tunes are anthematic. They're on, as you guys know, all these different television commercials here in the year 2020 of our Lord. Um, so that shows, you know, how great, that music was and how singable and danceable and head bobbable that that music was. Um, it, it's incredible, obviously style. Um, there was a little bit of groundbreak there as well, you know, but you're, you're coming right off the heels of, of, of the Beatles and the Rolling Stones who just took what was started and turned it in a direction that was unique to them and beautiful in that way because it was a little bit different and none of them were a copy of the other. That is, is sort of the best thing is that they, they originated something about Led Zeppelin. I would say this, I shared that video of them playing in that studio in Denmark in 1969. And you realize that Woodstock was that same year. And so you have to take that performance that they played in a studio in front of three rows of kids who looked like they were on some sort of helium and they were unable to bob their head or raise their fist 
where if that were in front of like a British or an American audience, people would have been standing, cheering, you know, just nodding their head, going wild. And these kids were sitting there like, huh? Maybe, maybe it was just that like, you know, awestruck. I, I don't know. But what I will say is this, if you would have put that band in front of the Woodstock crowd in 1969, clearly we're talking August 15th through 17, 1969. So you're almost at the end of the year. So clearly that, that video was shot and that music had been written already probably before those last, you know, let's say four months of the year. If you would have put that band up at Woodstock, you would have had 450,000 people going, huh? <laughs> what the hell is this, man? What is this? The Who played there, obviously, and they got the crowd going. There's no question about it. But if Led Zeppelin would have played that music, they would have said, we've never heard anything like this. There hasn't been anything like this. And I think that's the... Go ahead, man. No, well, let you finish first. I just have a point to make after. That, 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 I mean, I would have just continued on with that point. So go ahead, please. I was just going to say, I feel really bad because I've basically just said, I don't know anything. But one thing I can say is I spent time in Jimmy Page's house. Ah! What? Well, so <laughs> we all knew, we all how, know, or it's, it's fairly How common. long were we going to be friends before you're going to mention that, Vin? Well, next hey, listen, year? Here's the story. So, you, I mean, it's fairly common knowledge that Jimmy Page for a while owned Beleskin House previously owned by Alistair Crowley. Right. Obviously, I spent time at Beleskin House filming the documentary earlier this year, so I can actually say I spent time in Jimmy Page's old house. So that, that ups my uh, lack of knowledge a little bit, surely. <laughs> yeah, you're, I, I'll tell you what, you just moved up from a 1.5 to a 2.5. This Hell is yeah, awesome. I'll take Thank it. you. Thank you. We've seen an evolution right here on this podcast. Don't get don't get too excited. It's a twenty point scale. So yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. But anyway, but you're that, climbing. You're climbing. It's all good. You're, you're, you're on the right. You're trending in the right direction. Please I got forty five minutes to up my knowledge. So just wait till I come back. But just uh, you know, I just wanted to make that point. Uh, is that if if that band would have played at Woodstock, I think people would have just been like, oh, "What the hell is this? It's just something that didn't exist." prior to and with the violin bow if you guys have watched that he's in that studio and jimmy page is playing with the violin bow and it's just incredible i think people would have freaked out and said they would have they would have essentially you know won woodstock if you will over maybe crosby stills and nash second performance ever was at woodstock <laughs> so with sweet judy blue eyes it'll never be sung like that again uh crosby stills nash and young sorry i've seen that um, before <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Um, so anyway, uh, so Nathan, are we ready to um, send send off to who? Any final thoughts before? No, I... I think I think we are. This is I'm really looking forward to this. Uh, the Who has the advantage of getting to witness Zeppelin go first, uh, so they're going to be yes. watching, taking notes. I know this crowd; they're meticulous note takers. <laughs> they're going to be coming yes. back with with the heat. You know it. So. <laughs> Uh, we'll hey, see Nathan, you guys. Yes. Nathan, I just want to say, uh, you know, Smethers, whom I respect a lot, is no General MacArthur in picking first. If I were him, I would pick second, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. That's an advantage in my book, but we'll see. It's just, we, got, we have a strong crowd. Oh, we're not here, worried so. about that lot. Come on. Come on, man. Look at that. There we go. There we go. Get the All right, snack top going. Yes, yeah, so oh, we'll see I you guys to, soon. Yep. I want to say one thing because um, we're going to have our mystery guests coming in uh the first mystery guest is going to come in at the 30 minute mark so whomever so if nobody's backstage it's not an issue 
if all of you are going to be on chat with Vinny, that's that that's all good. And just be monitoring uh, for when we're going to bring on that second group. We're going to have to have Deb come on in. So that's going to be three places here, plus four is seven. And then we need at least one spot to bring on that mystery guest. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I know Vinny will shepherd them back. So okay. we will see you all shortly. Rest Looking forward to it. Bye, guys. So let's see if I get everybody here. Yep. All right. Okay. And Milburn, I think, was the last Milburn. one. Right. Milburn is in yeah. the hoop. Okay. Um, all right, guys. Man, we got to get Debs in here. Debs. Oh, yeah. Where's uh, she'll be Where in, I'm sure. You, She's not backstage yet, so she'll be here in a second, I'm sure. Okay. Um, so, yeah. Uh, so, we're going in round table format from the way it's looking right here. There's Debsy. We will start with uh, David Smethurst. Um, General Smethers, who decided we will launch the first volley. Uh, <laughs> as you were, as you were. Gray. General, uh, Yorkshire Gray. I love it. Vinny's, Vinny, the same city as Joe Cocker. Woo! Thank God. you, Yorkshire he's, Gray. Love oh, you. no, he, he's blown it now, hasn't he? He's no chance of getting his credibility back now after that. And, and uh, Tony, Gary Newman, wheeze all over this lot. Wow. Gary Newman wheeze over the Who and Led Zeppelin. I'll tell you what, Tony, that is strong. If if it uh, slightly, you know, misguided, I think perhaps Deb can count, you know, seek counseling with you uh, and, and help you out after the show. But I do like Gary Newman, no doubt about that. All right, right. <laughs> All right. should we get on with it then? Or not? Yeah, mate. I'm going to moderate this round. Nathan will be moderating the Who, um, and you know, I don't know how he's going to take that. It might be like. These guys are going to win. These guys are getting the AI artwork. But in 30 minutes from now, we're almost, this is perfect. So on the hour, we will bring in your mystery guest. David Smethers, take it away. Are we just doing what we think are, what the topic should be discussed now, and then we're going to choose one? Yeah, that was what I understood, is, yeah. No. Okay. Well, wait a minute. We talked about large brain power. You're bringing a topic for everybody to consider, and everybody will have a, a hack on that topic. 50 right. commentary by Nathan, myself, and Debs, and then we'll go on to the next uh, individual team member. Right. Well, I'll try and keep it short because we, luckily we only did 28 minutes on that introduction, so we're in good time. That's good. We? So, That's yeah. Good. Uh, so anyway, we'll uh, – um, right, okay. I want to ask you guys if you think the four things – are these four things are connected and how and how much they affect each other. The IAA legislation that's currently about to be approved by Congress, which will be greater monitoring of the subject, set up a new office, whistleblower hearings, the NASA study, and the San Marino Project Titan UN thing. And I'll tell you how I think they're connected, very briefly. I think the whistleblower hearings could well blow the door open for the IAA legislation to be implemented. The NASA study, who I haven't really got much hopes for, to be frank, could be something where we see public education on the back of that uh, if it all goes to plan. And we might see the San Marino one doing an international type deal that comes out of all this. So do people think these things are connected or am I delirious? That's my topic. All right. So basically take that away. The Okay. So let me see where we are now. All right. So it looks like uh, Frank Jones uh, maybe the best drummer in all of UFO Twitter 
we'll consider that topic. Well, thank you very much. Um, actually, the first little story for you regarding the Zeppelin thing, actually, before I get into Dave's very sure. nice topic that he suggested there. Speaking of being a drummer and all the rest of it, the first time I actually played on the, the BBC and did a, did a session, one of the engineers there said that in yesteryear, he actually engineered John Bonham's kit. And uh, I reminded him a little bit of John Bonham's playing. And that was something that I took to the bank and have cherished ever since. So uh, there you go. <laughs> so to hear that from uh, from that kind of person was a very nice little compliment. Uh, but yeah, anyway, in terms of the way that those kind of things link, yeah, I, th- I think there could well be some some links there. I think essentially all of these things are kind of efforts to crack open the same nut, essentially. You know what I mean? Like we, we're talking about various different sort of irons in the fire to get to the bottom of the same mystery. And um the Intelligence Authorization Act, with the, the the you know the whistleblower protections and and things like that, obviously is hopefully going to pave the way for people to be able to to come forward with some information about these uh, you know top secret programs that have been operating without congressional oversight for so long, and obviously that would you know give us some good indications of what actually is information has been gathered and potentially materials and things like that by these these programs and at the same time the the nasa study you know is looking at different ways of of scientifically approaching this mystery you know in terms of you know how best to study it what data sets to look at and things like that so i think they're not necessarily all linked as i would say as part of some kind of a uh, a, a disclosure rollout like sometimes you hear people talking about how there's there's some kind of a grand plan behind the scenes i i would love that to be the case be very interesting if it was but i think it's probably more a case of there's a link there but in that these are all various different angles and approaches of trying to get to the bottom of the same mystery but not necessarily directly linked as part of some kind of master plan I, I like it. Yeah, and I, I, I tend to uh, tend to agree with that point. Uh, let's move on to uh, somebody who has outstanding hair, especially when he styles it like Simon Le Bon, uh, which it's cut too short today to do that. But Christopher Sharp, my brother. Hey, uh, yeah, yeah, it's an excellent topic, Dave. So, I mean, um, where do I start? So the IAA whistleblower language, which is connected, or which is now coupled to the NDAA. Uh, yeah, that, that's really, really important um, in terms of whistleblower language and stuff. And um, I don't, I mean, I think hearings are going to, I think they will trigger um, public hearings, definitely. I think a lot of the people that have come out so far, for instance, can now speak and elaborate a lot more of what they know um, to the public and know that they're protected as well, um, which should bring a lot of um, ease to them. Um, and I think I, I think that's going to provide some more doors that are going to open. Um, I think eventually we are going to get confirmation of secretive programs um, that have existed and some other things as well about the fact that we might not know what these things are at first. Um, before perhaps kind of like getting further down that rabbit hole and kind of like potentially confirming non-human intelligence. Um, but yeah, I, th- I think that will legitimize efforts such as San Marino. Um, but it depends depends when that happens. You know, I think the San Marino um, 
decision may come within the next year. So if we make enough progress within the next year, then that might be a very, very good catalyst for that occurring. Um, and then more pressure will be put on NASA at the same time as well. I mean, yeah, I mean, I think there may be some kind of like, not a grand plan, but there is a plan to a certain extent. I mean, if you look at the pedestrian emails, for example, um, you'll see one of the conversations that um, Tom DeLonge had on there was about having a public educational program fronted by NASA and also having some efforts led by the DOD um, with ODNI and um, NOAA as well, uh, which seems to have happened to a large extent. So uh, you never know. Uh, <laughs> it's certainly an interesting, uh, interesting series of events that we've got ongoing at this current moment. I'll, I'll tell you what, I just want to say cheers to everybody. I have a couple of beers here. I hope I'm not the only one drinking other than Vinny. So um, <laughs> not that, you know, I think it's great to drink during the day, but you should all be drinking. Anyway, uh, so, uh, let's pass it on to uh, Mr. Uh, Davy Jones, please. <laughs> yeah, I, Jones, I'm sorry. wonderful uh, question, Mr. Smethurst. And the implications of it all being connected i'd love to think it was i doubt it very much other than they're all pushing for the same ultimate objective and it takes me back to the december 1960 document by the brookings institute um the study perceived stature on the implications of peaceful actions for human affairs in space and the last two pages, the implications of the discovery of extraterrestrial life, where they talked about exactly what Chris referred to there and this need for public education and the public wasn't ready and it would have to be slow drip and it would have to be stage by stage. So maybe, maybe it has been going since 1960, this plan, this program. I would love to think it had, but I really don't think anything in this world is that organised. I want to say your mustache and goatee program is really going well. I think at the moment you've gone from Heathcliff to this new look, and I'm in, I'm in favor. I like it. Nathan's like kind of he's nodding his head, and, and you know he's he's sort of agreeing with this. Beautiful. Uh, Nathan, me, me, me and Vinny are both growing the mustaches for Movember as well. So love that. Nathan, pithy commentary from you, and then Debs. <laughs> yeah, no, this is a great question, Dave. I think. Uh, you know, the, the charitable interpretation is that, yes, they are uh, linked and will be influenced by one another. If not directly, then I think at least uh, through uh, a process of addition, you know, that there's um, a benefit, a, um, a, you know, kind of a snowballing effect, if you will, that occurs uh, when one thing happens and then the others kind of come on board. Uh, in particular, I think about this with related relation to the whistleblower aspect of it. So we've got some who are ready to step forward, who are arguably more comfortable in doing so, maybe have done a little bit thus far. These are names that we probably can can already talk about and people that we know. And then there are those who are what I would call the brave uh, or the foolish, uh, depending on how you look at it, um, who are going to step forward and throw their uh, sort of uh, way behind it and and damn the consequences. And we're going to have to find out how that works. But I think one way or the other, anybody coming forward will only introduce uh, not only new facts, but new questions and new areas of inquiry. And that then then just further adds to this issue of, heart, of, of making it very difficult to put this toothpaste back in the tube. 
Um, now, I will want to point out to folks, this is incredibly complicated. This knot is not only tangled, but it's old and it's uh, crusted over. There's a lot to really uh, deal with here. Mm -hmm. And I don't think that anybody really has a full picture of what it all means. And so I, I think that's an argument in favor of doing this very slowly, very carefully, uh, and with some uh, real real deliberation. So I, I'm not uh, opposed to uh, hearings, but, but private hearings and you know, for lawmakers to try to really get their arms around this, not only as, uh, you know, with, with each other, but also with really some thoughtful uh, academics and those who've been working closely with this for, for very, very long. So because I, th I think it's going to take a very big group of people uh, to kind of solve this uh, particular mystery. I want to say uh, hi, Yanni, in the chat. I hadn't got to speak with you since that one uh, uh, StreamYard chat we had with Vinny, but welcome. Bienvenidos. And um, Ben, this is a great topic, but let me give it over to, to uh, Debs first, the study of UAPs. Hello, everybody. Who, who are you? Okay, so I just really, I really wanted to chime in that what I, you know, I, I agree with some of the things that were said, but I also have a concern that people are like hedging their bets. Like they're putting all these things in place so they're covering all the bases. You know, so like the foreign governments were starting to take care of some things in case we stopped doing this or NASA's getting in place in case the whistleblower act doesn't go through or something like that. It just it's a suspicion that that's a possibility that they're getting everything on base because everyone is indicating that this activity is increasing and becoming more concerning and something needs to be done. That's my two cents. Thank you, Debs. Thank you. Um, yeah, I appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you for, uh, I'm glad we figured out a way to make technically get everybody in here. Uh, I think that um, the actions of the Christopher um, Mellons and the Luis Elizondos uh, of the world are the ones that forced their hand in terms of this, um, this uh, amnesty. And I think that's a direct result of that. I don't necessarily think it's connected, but I believe that they forced their hand. You have younger legislators here who were not, you know, talking about uh, uh, Gillibrand, Rubio, and then the Associated Congress uh, women and men that were not read in on this. But uh, as a result of what they've done, they've sort of forced their hand to where they said, we want to hear from these people. And in order to get some people to come forward, we're going to have to do X. And it's just a, happens to be to our benefit uh, that that's happened. But I think it's to the chagrin of uh, the folks that are have in mind to keep this under wraps, uh, i.e. the DOD, et cetera. But great topic, David. Um, if I got that right, did I answer that? Did I answer what the question was? You did indeed. Okay, because I was typing to a mystery guest. Uh, during when you were uh, bringing the topic forth and I wanted. Uh, so, um, no, uh, the person who's backstage, you're, you're, not in the, uh, you're not in the wrong spot. Um, the other mystery guest is coming on for this group. You're for the next one. But right now we have enough to fit two people in there by my mathematics, so we're okay. Okay. All right. Uh, the next topic, looking at what I'm looking at right here is, Frank Jones. Where's those diligent symbols? Oh my God, Frank, 
sorry, <laughs> pressed okay. the wrong button. Don't worry, I'm still here. It's all good. Um, yeah, so actually, this actually follows on quite nicely from from um, Dave's uh, Dave's question there, and it's an interesting one that Dave. But I'll send you a signal message about that tomorrow to uh, to go into your one a little bit further. Um, but what I was going to uh, talk about was specifically kind of zeroing in on on the whistleblowers aspect. Um, and uh, obviously, there's been a lot of talk about that, and you know, this talk about whistleblowers coming forward to reveal details of these uh, top secret government UFO programs, which have you know been operating outside of this congressional oversight for a long time, you know, and it's kind of unclear at this stage as to whether the public will actually get to hear about any of the details that do get revealed by these whistleblowers, or whether it'll all be in enclosed hearings, etc. And if all of this talk about whistleblowers, you know, is accurate as it appears to be, because it's coming from pretty credible sources and, and quite a few credible sources as well, and the whistleblowers do come forward to Congress in the near future, what do we think that the public will actually get to find out about what the extent, you know, is known about our materials held by these programs? Could it end up being more of a kind of official? acknowledgement that ufos are real like even more so than the sort of already is you know or would it be a case of you know we've got like hd videos and crash materials but we still have to keep all of the you know what we understand about that locked up for national security reasons or are we going to see some actual you know genuine transparency with the public in terms of specific details about what extent of materials is held and what actual photo or video evidence or what's been captured on sensor systems like basically how much of that will actually trickle down to the public if these whistleblowers do come forward to keep in order let's we'll go back with Dave we'll go to Christopher and we'll go to Davey and we'll try to try to keep that order if we can um go ahead um uh Christopher Excuse me. Uh, go ahead, Christopher, please. Uh, oh, no, Dave. I'm sorry. Go ahead, Dave. Yeah. Yeah, I think there's four things with that. I'll try, try and just be quick because obviously we need to get through all this. But uh, I think there's four hierarchies of information. The fact that they're real. Then then there's the fact of uh, their existence. Then there's the fact of the, i.e., the nuts and bolts, crash retrieval bodies, that sort of thing. Then there's the fact as if they've been contacted and what sort of deal. And then there's the nature of our existence and reality. They're the four, for me, really simplifying it, of what could be revealed. And I think that the disclosure train will stop at uh, probably just below the sort of bodies and certainly not past the recovered craft and bodies. I don't think it'll get into any contacts and certainly not into this nature of reality. And it's interesting, there's pressure coming from in the field about the experience of field and the other things, there's legitimate pressure coming there. And there's this sort of uneasy thing about we can't go on too much about that because it'll shock the public. So I think we might see it land just below where I think the rubber hits the road, which is a retrieve craft. So that's my answer. Wow. Just below that. Yeah, and maybe, okay. but I thought, well, it may be that the way it's going, they've got these whistleblowers are going to talk about the stuff they've been talking about. So if I can revise my answer, I think it sure. may well be, uh, yeah, uh, about craft and what they've worked on. But I don't think it's going to go much further. But I don't know if they can, they'll be able to stop it. It's really, really interesting. That. For clarification, Dave, does that mean reveal to the public or in closed session? Oh, yeah, no, I, I, meant, I meant I was talking about the public. I, I think okay. that it's probably going to go. I don't think they'll go much further than the craft, though, even with the senators. 
I okay. think the deals thing is, I mean, I don't know if that's true. And certainly the nature of reality, uh, you know, okay. that's all, who knows, the you nature. know. But, yeah. <laughs> the nature of reality. Uh, that's and my hierarchy, <laughs> and my sort of hierarchy of things, you know. <laughs> Christopher Sharp. Once the first domino falls, it's going to be very, very difficult for the gatekeepers to um, control what what's going going on and, and the narrative to some extent. From my understanding, um, there are there is a tidal wave of um, whistleblowers ready to speak out. Many not tidal just... wave. Correct. Yes. Japanese tsunami. <laughs> it's okay. it's going to it will be ha- it will have a potential tsunami effect, and. The way that's going to come forward is that you're going to get the National Defence Authorization Act um, with that IAA language coupled with it um, signed. Um, and then following that, it will then have a method for those whistleblowers to officially come forward through um, Arrow, which will soon be renamed into the UAP JPO, um, Joint Programme Office. And um, they'll have to find some way of getting that information out. Now, the hearings, from my understanding, I, I think you might just have to start from base point with the Nimitz and other encounters saying, look, these are not Chinese drones. Educate the public what, is, what, what has actually happened and stuff and the capabilities of, capabilities of these kinds of crafts. So you, you may get Fravor and people like that perhaps testifying, um, Lou Elizondo, Mellon, um, and they'll be able to transition it to, um, uh, I think, kind of crash retrieval um, and reverse engineering stuff. Um, but think, thinking for it from a pragmatic sense, um, it, I think it is in the best interest of Congress to get this inf- information out. Um, yes, we have been reverse engineering, or well, the Americans have been re- reverse engineering this stuff for decades now. Um, and it's in the best interest of Congress to get information out to the public and commercialize to some extent where they can. Um, cool. That makes perfect sense at this moment but also i think on the stuff that they can't understand i think we need to make that public and have some kind of like apollo mission or or manhattan project bringing lots and lots of scientists and engineers in to help solve this problem so from a pragmatic sense i think it it makes sense to reveal as much um uh, as is viable really to kind of get the mission done I want to say I agree with you, Christopher. I think they should have T-shirt vendors uh, on the steps of, of the Capitol where it says, like, disclosure happened here. And then on each corner, it'll look like a tour shirt, like a Zeppelin tour shirt. And it'll say Gillibrand, Rubio, and then Gallego, Burchett at the bottom. You know, like, they should have tour shirts, you know, done. And just having, you know, selling them, you know, like 20 bucks a pop. You know, right, Nathan? You could have push carts all around the Capitol. Great opportunity there. Yeah. Yeah. They should have congressional disclosure, concert shirts, all proceeds going to those four, uh, those four uh, Congress people. So yeah, I'm with you. Um, Anyway, uh, let's go get on with uh, Davey Johnston, the last person on this topic. Thanks for the question, Frank. Absolutely brilliant, mate. Um, And Christopher dropping knowledge bombs that none of us can, keep up with i mean blimey o'reilly insider brother hey um and dave i absolutely love your four tiers those four levels that's they mirror how i've laid this out in my own head as well and i'm inclined to believe 
or expect that just like you, they'll go right up to that point and say, yep, we have recovered materials. I don't expect them to talk about genetic or biological material yet. I think they will do in some time. But what worries me about this are the commercial implications of this, that there are people who've had this knowledge, who've had this information, it's given them commercial advantage. Um, and, I mean, the US isn't a particularly litigious country, is it? Oh, no, wait a minute. <laughs> uh, the only people I can see benefiting from this are the lawyers. Um, and that's why your little point there, Christopher, about actually bringing in people to from outside to try and break down the stuff that we can't yet understand that would be and commercialize what we already have yeah that's the dream i i just worry that the the way that the, the the industry let's say is set up may prevent that from happening yeah great response i don't know what happened to dj he'll be back i'm sure um so I uh, I want to jump in on my sort of take on this as well. I think um, you know it's it's really interesting to me because and I've talked about this before in uh, in some of my social media posts. But the way I look at this is that it's a song and a dance. It's a it's a call and response that um, when certain facts are disclosed at a, at, a, at a tier at a public tier of awareness, then that legitimizes other uh, facts to kind of respond in kind so i think if we're if we're going as far as saying the real we have recovered crash you know we have recovered crashes we're reverse engineering that then that opens up space for those who've had very personal encounters and we all know the experience or community here is what i'm talking about for them to say okay well what about us you know like you're you've now said that they're real we're, we're going to go there. We're, we're, we are coming forward and saying that we have had direct contact with whatever the, these things are. And I think, uh, you know, it doesn't necessarily mean that we're going to get immediate legitimacy on that, but I think it does allow for that conversation to move forward in a far more legitimate manner. Uh, and I think the world is probably more ready for that than we might think. At least I hope so, because um, my feeling on this is that it, this really isn't a, a matter of just sort of scratching a technological itch here and, and learning what kind of gee whiz stuff we can learn from whoever these beings are. This is a much grander, uh, you know, sort of ultimate issue of who we are and uh, what is this all about and what is our journey? What is their journey? Uh, it's not just about, you know, oh, we encountered some beings from some other star system and they have, you know, thousands of years ahead of us on the on the tech tree. I don't think it's that that simple. And so it is a part of it, but uh, I think it would be a mistake for us to fixate solely on that. And my gut feeling is that our world probably would, um, that we would really lean into how do we take advantage of this? How do we corporatize this? Um, and and I don't think that's really worked out for us that well um, that, thus far. You know, we've become very technologied. And we've not really developed our, uh, you know, kind of our inner technologies, if you will. And I think that's probably something we need to be focusing on so that we have the responsibility, the maturity, the wisdom to be able to deal with what this knowledge entails. Then this reflects the journey that you yourself are on right now yeah, is to absolutely. develop that inner. Um, so I, I'm taking from your commentary that you don't think that we should monetize those t-shirts outside the capital <laughs> yeah it's a good it's a good point yeah maybe we'll have some free ones you know as well all right 
All right, yeah, maybe they're you know maybe these guys will pony up and and just give those t-shirts out. That would be great, man, because you're already paying these people a lot, and I think six years and they get a full retirement. Um, <laughs> so anyway, um, so let's see who's next. So that was I think it's Deb. That's me. Deb, yeah, Deb is Deb. Yes, yes, oh. ma'am. What's well, your take on that, Deb? I think we're full stop on learning a lot about the technology. Honestly, I think they're just not. That's where things get. Um, hair raising so to speak with this topic they really watch people who study that aspect um, and I think that they're not going to want to share that at all um, and I know for instance if we had that now some of that technology we wouldn't be you know begging for energy from other people in other countries right so there's there's a possibility that we're going to get to experiencers I think because I think we've heard a lot of people talk about it who have come forward and mentioned it but as far as the uh technology that's where the full stop is i think thank you debs um you know i'm glad you said that about experiencers because i feel like we should that congress you know we should get uh on uh capitol hill we should get um experiencers that have been vetted just normal civilians not necessarily a military person with uh, a pilot rating or something or a sensor operator. I think we should get some just people that have been interviewed by various people and have been deemed credible by whatever criteria they would apply to that. And then, and then get those folks on. I, I really would like to, to see something uh, like that. Um, what I'm going to do right now, uh, because we're about five minutes, four minutes, almost four minutes to the top of the hour, I'd like to bring in the mystery guest. And then we'll continue on and we'll let uh, the rest of you get in there. So so with that, let's bring him on right now. Uh, my man. We lost him. What? Yeah, he's not there. Oh, my goodness. All right. Uh, let's see. <laughs> he <laughs> oh, was man. there. Right, and it would have been amazing, but I don't know right. where he went. He's All not right. there now. All right. Mystery guest number one. If you're there, because mystery guest is back there, too, playing playing with her hair. But uh, mystery guest number one. <laughs> Uh, mystery guest number one if you can get back in here uh sir we'll do that but in in the meantime let's go with uh well actually everybody's put out their topics so he's the only one no 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 that's right did we miss and he's back he's back now do you want to bring one okay let's bring davy oh i didn't know davy didn't get okay um let's waiting on i'm waiting on his uh here we go here we go yeah Whoa! Put your hands together for the handsome man. Put a smile on your face. Where are you at? <laughs> I don't know if he can hear us. How's it going, Ash? Oh my! Oh, he's goodness. gone. And just Maybe like he that. can't hear us. Okay, it's terrible when someone can't hear applause. Mm-hmm. Um. All right. We'll let's get to Davey. Can... All right. Yeah. Let's go ahead and get to Davey Johnston, and then we'll bring him on. He's got to get himself sorted out. Perfect. So, Mike question is something that's been keeping me awake at night for years and years so i want you all to hunker down take a deep breath and prepare for this question what vacuum cleaner should i buy oh hang on a minute am i on the right podcast shoot sorry guys these are the ultimate questions yeah a lot of people are waiting for Vinny's vacuum cleaner episode everybody just be patient we're going to have that. We're going to get to the Dyson. We're going to get to the Shark. 
Nathan, I don't know if you have a Bissell in mind. We're going to get to it. So just yeah, love be it. patient. Vinny will get for that it. episode. All right, go ahead. Sorry. <laughs> Nathan, back, read the instructions. Back to the right podcast. <laughs> Okay, um, good. <laughs> so this actually ties in really well with the, the questions we've had so far about the next stages of where we go with this. And I'm acutely aware that we, I would say we've had confirmation. We are awaiting disclosure. We're moving towards gaining an understanding of perhaps what this phenomena is. And certainly with things like ISA, the whistleblower legislation, we should get a form of disclosure. So my question would be, what's next? Should we be going out and talking to the academics, the theologians, these people who have been working on this? I mean, again, I go back to that 1960 document from the Brookings Institute. They were looking at it then. They were bringing in experts in their different fields to prepare this work. And I know Diana Walsh-Pasulka, Gary Nolan aren't the only people who will have been involved in this. Is that the next step? Should we be going and talking to the the the, the leaders in the industries in their fields in the un, in the universities? I want to say before we pass it on, what you know, I, I expected a brilliant question from Davy, and I got it. <laughs> it's just, and and this is a question that Nathan asked on this show on I don't know how many occasions, right? Nathan, you've asked this question. Yeah. What's What's next? It's a big deal. Who who do we need to engage with? David Smethers. Yeah, don't forget. Have you done one, Chris? Have you gone? Have you done one yet? Oh, did we miss Christopher? Yeah, that's right. Anyway, boring one anyway, so it's fine. No, we're going to get you in there. Go ahead. What I do, I think the uh, the academics and all the rest of it have proved themselves to be solely unreliable on this topic. So the only way, and we need to be involved, don't get me wrong, we need their expertise, we need that, uh, you know, that confirmation. So I would uh, re, I would make the panel that they were going to have in the original Gillibrand stuff of different people who were knowledgeable, the SCU, all those different people who they thought could all give oversight to the original thing. And I would set up a big grant programme. And I know for all the amount of the reservations, the academics and all the other people, once you've got a large amount of large grant funding that everybody's agreed by consensus, then the hearts and minds may follow that money. And that's what I'd do. I'd fund it up, set it up properly, identify a proper sort of range of topics going from uh, issues around consciousness and more sort of idea breaking to more technical stuff around power. And I'd, I'd do that. And I'd, 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 stra- I'd, I'd I think you'd have to put money into it and structure it to make it happen. I think if you trust the powers that be, you'll forget about it. They'll be there forever. I mean, look at NASA. Christ, they're just in a circling pattern, doing nothing till something happens, you know. And they're just a sort of microcosm of the whole uh, establishment on this issue. They haven't got the ball to do it. I think you're saying it wrong because Christopher said NASA, so I think there's an ER on the end of it that you're not pronouncing. NASA. NASA, DJ. Yeah. (laughs) Marvelous. Oh, yes. All right. Um, all right. So let's go with uh, Frank Jones, please. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think what made me think of that is is um, something I've kind of been forced to kind of bring into a bit more focus recently, uh, which I'll, I'll come to in a minute. But I, th- I think basically it's just a case of getting everybody on the same page. Again, it sort of links back to what Dave was talking about earlier, where there's so many different, you know, prongs kind of prodding the same 
thing and, and it's just a case of trying to get everybody to catch up with each other and that kind of thing. But in terms of like something that's um, what, what I was talking about that I've had to kind of consider a little bit more, sometimes I, I, I perhaps think about this disclosure thing of like an exciting revelation and, you know, better videos and I want data and, you know, I want kind of some confirmation of crash retrievals and things like that. But um, when we were at the uh, UFO identified um, Minicon a little while ago, I spoke to some some pretty interesting people. I won't mention the names because uh, they don't want to actually uh, you know step into the public eye at the moment. But people who are, are very kind of credentialed at top UK universities who are dealing with the actual psychological impact of of what's going on on individuals. And it was also something that Whitley Strieber was talking about. I think he was on that UFO podcast a little while ago. And it's like experiences are one of the um, the last remaining parts of society that you can ridicule for having an extremely traumatic experience. And uh, the the experts that I was speaking to are trying to consider how to actually help people who have been affected on a very personal level by these, you know, life-changing, like horrific experiences and what what whatever those experiences actually represent, you know, whatever reality that is, whatever you know, whether you believe it's interdimensional or extraterrestrial, whatever hypothesis you want to you put forward, these things are massively negatively affecting these people's lives, you know, in a way that like they can never recover from. I mean, some people have positive experiences as well, but I think that is 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 probably something that that I've kind of realized that we need to really consider more in terms of bringing those people the experts in helping people heal you know bringing them into the conversation and to that end uh, deb's has a uh um i want to uh, if she can deb if you can pop up real quick and just your, yeah. your uap uh group that is in terms of mental health can you just talk about that real quick yeah, so Ted Rowe founded UAP Medical Coalition, and a lot of people in the community have joined, including someone in this panel. <laughs> and there is, a, yes, there, there's a forum um, for medical and mental health professionals. We're trying to find evidence um, and data and prior research and provide it to the professionals so that they can help experiencers and give proper treatment. Can I get an amen? Deb is not only talking about what she's going to do, but she's actually out there doing something and devoting her time and her training and her education towards it. So uh, obviously we're, we're proud and honored to have her as part of CAB uh, for that, among other reasons. Right. Um, all right. So we've gone to Mr. Jones. Mr. Shop. Hey there. Uh, so 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 in terms of um of science so i'd say that the um intelligence authorization act it does state that um the new the new office will have to coordinate with uh, the national science foundation which is really interesting um because they they um they're an independent agency um you know and they conduct or support research and education um, in non-medical fields of science and engineering. So I, I thought that was quite interesting. And also there's supposed to be a science, there's going to be a science plan as well um, to actually develop theories about how these things work. And I thought it was quite interesting as well in this language was that um, that they have to create the science plan to account for characteristics and performance of UAP. Mm. 
that exceed the known state of art in science or technology, including areas of propulsion, aerodynamic control, signature structures, and on all sorts of things, basically. They're, they're talking about this as they know it exists, that they do not think these are drones. So, sorry, that was just an aside there. But in terms of... Um, Next. Educating the... Uh, yeah, in terms of what happens next. So that's going to happen once, once the actual NDAA is signed. So you will have that science plan in action if it goes through as it is at the moment. So that will that will happen. Um, so I think what will happen as well, when all this stuff is happening, you're going to have um, TTS, it's called now. They'll be doing all their movies um, and books and stuff, trying to educate uh, the masses about this. Um, in terms of religion and philosophical um, organizations i mean we know the vatican is engaged to some extent in this with italian ufo organizations um so perhaps that will step up to some some degree um but man it's going to be a momentous effort but i think it's just getting forcing this toothpaste out of the tube once and all for all at the moment i think that's the the tussle. christopher uh, yeah. May, may, may I ask you a question? Good uh, since you know clearly, I need some some eyebrow help here. Um, what what do you think is the next? What do you think should happen after this disclosure happened? What do you think is going to be the most important thing that needs to happen? If I can, if I understood Davy's question correctly, nod your head. He's nodding his head. Oh, what's the most important thing that needs to happen after? Yes, after um, after. after. I, I really think the most important thing is just getting the technology out to help save lives and push humanity forwards to the next level, really. Uh, so, okay. yeah. Sustainably so. Correct, yeah. Okay, okay. great. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm with you. I'm all about sustainability. That's why I'm driving two hybrids, baby. <laughs> uh, anyway. All right, let's bring on my man right here, the legend. From the United <laughs> Kingdom, the mystery guest, put your hands together hey! for Ash UK underscore UAP. Hello, everyone. I want to say, well, first of all, Ash, before you say anything, I think it's important you know that you look a lot right now like Sylvester Stallone in the movie Nighthawks. <laughs> so if you go back yeah. and look at Nighthawks, you're going to go, oh, I look a lot like Stallone but with uh, his hair is a little longer. Okay, so check it out. And he is, by the way, a police officer in that in that film in New York City. There you City. go, then. It's meant to Can be. Get aim there? <laughs> <laughs> uh, thanks for having me. Good to be here. Yes, sir. It's an honor. Okay, so you are going to present a topic. These guys are going to consider it. And by the way, you're, and by the way, Marky O'Boyle is in the chat. Hi, Marky. We're going to have you on the next one of these, man. Your your t your ticket's going to be up for the for the British invasion three, um. Anyway, yeah, <laughs> but anyway, uh, brother, uh, brother Ash. So, if your topic happens to be the best one, your entire team here will win a custom piece of AI artwork done by my brother, Money Nathan. No, pressure. no pressure then. No pressure. Yeah. <laughs> I'll give it my best go shot. Ahead, I'm go slightly less left fielder here a bit, you know. <laughs> Less, less off the kind of uh, UFO topic in the US at the moment. Okay, right, here we go. Um, the phenomenon seems to be inextricably linked to consciousness. The topic has been described as somber by some, most famously Luella Zondo. 
I'd love to know what all your thoughts are, that we may actually be dealing with something fundamental to the very nature of reality itself, and that this is the reason for all of the secrecy. Say, say, say the end part of it. I'm writing down what you, I'm taking notes on what everybody's saying, because at the end, we're going to have to vote. Say that again, please. Yeah. So what are your thoughts that we may actually be dealing with something when we talk about the phenomenon? We may actually be dealing with something that's fundamental to the nature of reality itself, and that this is the reason for all the secrecy. You know, that it's so shocking. It kind of is the core of what it means to be human and what it means to be alive and what reality is, that that's the reason why it's, it's kind of been hushed up and that it's been described as somber. What are your thoughts on I'm, that one? I'm, I am not previewing anything, but that is a banger right there, Nathan. <laughs> that's a banger. <laughs> that's a <good> one. <laughs> awesome, Ash. I, I knew you were going to bring the note. Holly's going, oh, my God, I got it. All right, go ahead, David Smithers. <laughs> And turn your mic on, please, so we can hear the brilliance. Yeah, oh, God, oh, man, that's, a, your, that's go. a blast from the past, isn't it? Like on mute. I've not done that for a bit. Anyway, yeah. yeah, that, <laughs> That's a nice, easy one, isn't it, to kick off? Thanks for that. Yeah. Thanks for that. That's very nice. Uh, I knew yeah. you'd like it, Dave. I knew you'd oh, like yeah, it. well, you're, you're a good lad, as we all know. Uh, but anyway, <laughs> yeah, uh, basically, I suppose going, we, we don't know if it's, there could be, but it, the, the intelligence is one thing and it's tricking us. And the, uh, this trickster element is is basically around uh, an actual force that's manipulating technology. It may well be that the shock is around something that we've been, as a as a as a human race, we've been interfered with. This thing's been a long way, and our roots are very different. Or it may well be that the wider thing that our reality is indeed very different. We could be the ideas we're on a prison planet. I don't particularly go for that. <laughs> Uh, or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah go down now, now. You may say that, DJ. I'm not going to upset the Australians. They're very touchy. Uh, no. <laughs> no, or it could be, but we've got a wider thing about the old, this whole thing of this uh, the idea of archons who are living in this sub reality. Uh, and it, I mean, it could just be that it's about defense and that the, the government is powerless against it. So, because we've got stories of Jimmy Carter apparently crying. When he was told the thing, Tom DeLong says he stays awake at night. What yeah. could make you do that, you know? So I, my my suspicion is it's either something pretty shocking that is beyond just religion and DNA and all the rest of it, or it's something pretty existential in that we might all be, you know, hopefully not. I mean, we can talk about it calmly, but there may be an impending cataclysm or something's going to happen. We do have this undercurrent in this theme about something's coming, something's going to happen. Now, that has been the currency of charlatans for 100 years, isn't it? Something's coming. So I'm not too, you know, when I hear that, I don't immediately jump under my bed. But nonetheless, it is uh, something. So to answer your question, I think it's, uh, it's too difficult to extrapolate. And whether the philosophical implications would be that scary that most people would get it and we're not being told it, I don't know. Uh, but uh, to, so as you can tell, Ash, you've, I don't really know, mate, but I, I suspect uh, it's somewhere in the middle of complete shock, existential shock and a very mundane, prosaic explanation. And we're being tricked. I think it's somewhere in the middle. You know, you know, what's interesting is not only has, you know, as uh, Ash pointed out, Lou Elizondo has said something very similar to this. Rick Doty on his first uh, episode on cab told us that he said this he felt the same way that there were things that scared him and if you you know you guys have met rick Doty in person um he's not the 
type of individual who scares easily. He actually, before he was a combat controller and then an OSI special agent, he actually was a New, Mex New Mexico State policeman after that. So uh, Rick Doty is, is an absolute monster as, as a person in, in law enforcement and, and special operations, so, so forth. So he doesn't scare easily, and he said there were things that scared the hell out of him. So that would lead to that. Plus, uh, uh, Jim Semivan said as much. If you listen to the brilliant episode with Stuart mm -hmm. Davis on um, aliens and, uh, and artists, he said something like um, that the, the, the government doesn't know how to explain this to people. They, they don't understand what it is, and they don't know how to explain it, and that's why that they hide it, because it's not easy to say to, to the public, we're not in control. We don't know what this is. I wouldn't want to be the spokesperson to say that or the person who was called the Secretary of Defense or the President, you know, anyone in the NCA and National Command Authority to say that. And so I kind of understand their position, even if I'm unhappy with the way it came down. Um, let's go to the next person before... Christopher Sharp is going to go last, but let's go to uh, Frank, the UFO thinker. All right, mate. So... <laughs> Darren Till in the house. <laughs> yeah. Holly will love that one if you're there, Holly. Yeah. Uh, a nice bit of scouse for you there. Oh. <laughs> anyway, but yeah, I mean, in terms of the uh, the very profound question from, from Ash there, um, I, I, don't, I don't think that, you know, any anybody in the sort of murky depths of, of like government programs has managed to kind of put all the pieces of the puzzle together and realize like, right, we've cracked it and it's really weird. So we can't tell the public, but I think even if there's like, like DJ was just saying, if there's even a little bit of this, which is really weird and unexplainable and could be pretty scary to the public, that's a, a pretty good reason why it wouldn't be disclosed to, to the public. And especially if that taps into something about the very nature of reality itself. And, you know, if, if you listen to people like Hal Puthoff, um, you know, he's talked about the fact that there are, there are new, new types of physics being hidden, you know, have already been discovered and are being experimented with and being used, you know, in, in, perhaps in, in conjunction with private industry or maybe just in private industry and, and also in cooperation with, you know, top secret um, government programs as well. And if some of that n new physics is very destabilizing, again, that's that's another, the, the new physics, uh, who knows what that is? I mean, I'm not a physicist, but even perhaps the actual new physics they're talking about could actually tap into some elements of the very nature of the reality that, you know, is, is, is pretty, pretty terrifying. And I think that's the thing, even if only a little bit of, of what is known, I, I don't think they've got the full puzzle figured out, but even if a little bit of that is is something really profound about the very nature of our existence or reality, or then that would be a good enough reason to, to keep that under wraps pretty tight, I think. Wow. That, from, that is a very, very sober take from a US a UFO disclosure advocate. That is a very sober take, and it... And what it to, to an espouse an opinion like that, you have to be able to look outside your own interest, and that's a, just yet another impressive thing about you, Frank. Uh, who's next? Do we have uh, yes, Christopher Sharp. Yes. Hey there. Um, so thank you. Great question. So on the consciousness component, so obviously there's a link, potential link between quantum quantum physics and and consciousness, and if if that is if if that is correct, 
then a more advanced race could potentially alter our reality and thereby alter consciousness. Um, so that's very, very interesting. Obviously, as well, that we can't interact with a lot of things that are real. Like we can't interact with, um, so, so for instance, um, like radio waves and stuff like that. We can't see that. We can't perceive that ourselves. So, I mean, there, there may be a disturbing aspect there. Um, but I think one of the other disturbing aspects is, I mean, these a lot of these things started appearing, especially around nuclear sites, when we started learning the secrets behind the atom. And I think um, that that's very, very important. I feel like we, as a human race, um, are like the caged gorilla. It's very, very frightening to someone who's looking from the outside. And then when we started kind of um, finding the secrets behind the atom, it's kind of like just finding the keys <laughs> to getting out of that. So I think potentially someone wants to put us back in there. So um, about the cataclysm and stuff, that may be one option. Um, and then obviously as well, there's the, I've heard from like separate unrelated, very, very good sources, for instance, that the Holloman Air Force Base uh, visit really did happen when occupants got out craft and wow. um, then were greeted by Air Force officials. And uh, that really quite, that, that really was like something that kind of like took me by surprise coming from some very, very good, well-connected sources. So, um, mm -hmm. yeah, repercussions of ongoing contact as well. So, yeah. All right. Now back, Christopher. Um, yeah. And your topic is going to come up next. But, man, look at that hair. I'll tell you what, man. It's the only thing I don't like about him. Go ahead, Davey. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to be an awkward sod. And I'm going to throw this back to Ash because me and him have had a few chats around this. And I'm going to say, define, rea define reality. I really don't think we know what reality is yet. I think that there's different ways of looking at that. I mean, we live in a material scientific paradigm. If we go back 300, 400 years, that vision of reality, that version of reality was a very different one. I would argue if we go back 2,000 years, different still. I'm inclined to think maybe they had a better or a different understanding of certain elements of that reality that we have lost as we've continued down that scientific, materialistic, narrower and narrower, narrower focus. Um, so Ash already knows my answer to this. I am absolutely convinced that this topic, and it's broader than UFOs, it's broader than Sasquatch, it's broader than life after death, near-death experiences, ghouls, ghosts, monsters, Loch Ness monsters, it is absolutely intrinsic in the very nature of the universe. And I think that to get closer to understanding this, we have to begin to understand our real place in that universe. Wow. That that was profound. The only thing I was thinking about is living in a material world. I was thinking of Madonna when he said that. Ash, what, what, what's it? Do you have a response to well, I mean, how would you follow that? I mean, he's so eloquent with his words, isn't he, Davey? Um, but no, I think he's got a point there. Um, you know, how do we even define reality? What is reality? You know, what, what is the world we're in at the moment? What is tangible? What isn't? Um, and I think Davey's right. You know, we're going back through history. We're going back through science and the evolution of science and what we discover changes every year. Uh, we know more and more about the world every year. And, you know, it's a new discovery. Um, you know, we, We've got the macro world and then we've got the micro world and then we go into the quantum world and things get really crazy when you get there and no one really understands that even top scientists are still discovering strange things there so yeah it's it's a real tough one um but i think we need to start asking those tough questions and we need to start looking at these these really uh 
you know hard to reach places and and i think that's where we're going to start to formulate some answers but yeah it's all really interesting stuff and i think one of the reasons that governments don't want to touch it is because i think um it was yourself frank it might be someone else apologies but um you know how do you how do you tell the public that yeah we know a little bit about it but we don't know much about it and by the way it's it's really fundamental to you and living and, and what it means to be you so yeah i i think if people want to be if you're in a position of power you need to be able to people want to trust you and you want to be able to give all of the answers and if you haven't got that how do you even begin um, so the best thing is to kind of just ignore it hope it will go away or cover it up somehow so i think that's what we're dealing with and you know we are human at the end of the day and humans not all humans are nice as soon as we get something we always try and weaponize it and find out how to kill someone with it i think that's also a big part of it as well not quite, i could talk not about question. this all night we haven't got all night i could talk about it all night but um no, really interesting comments guys thanks thanks for your uh, inputs on it thanks for having me here we will have you back uh to to talk about it more and that was jim semivan that that made those uh, represented the government's what he believes to be the government's position based on probably first person conversations with those that would know. Uh, let's get Money Nathan and Debs in there real quick uh, before we uh, get Christopher. Yeah, this is a uh, this is the question. This is this one's huge. Um, I think it uh, it's about who we are, who they are, what journey we're on, and also what journey they're on. I think that uh, this is one grand experiment uh, that is the aim of the conscious universe and that we're all part of that developmental cycle, that we're interrelated. Um, I think that the reason why we haven't been given uh, the full disclosure is actually pretty pragmatic and practical. I think that we discovered there was something very powerful and we wanted to protect that. We wanted to keep that secret, we wanted to figure that out. So we had a competitive advantage and, and that has what is what has maintained the secrecy for so long. And rightly so um, in a world where we're not that far removed from, you know, stabbing each other with pointy sticks. Uh, so <laughs> yeah, I mean, in the that, arc of history, we're very close, right? Very close. And um, I think when they started showing up, they realized, oh, you know, crap, look at these, you know, poorly developed beings who now can basically like annihilate not only themselves, but also aspects of reality that we cannot directly experience that they probably can. So our weaponry, our atomic uh, weaponry, our capability, it, uh, you know, it absolutely has an impact, a reverberating impact into other dimensions that they probably inhabit. So it's, you know, why wouldn't they show up and ask us to stop, you know, breaking the furniture in the house, essentially. Um, so, you know, I think we, um, to, to reveal this and to, to take it to the next step is, um, if we don't have our sort of house in order, then I don't think we can quite handle the technology very responsibly, um, at least not without their supervision. And are they willing to provide that? At least some of them might be, some of them might not be. Again, I think this is also a, a developmental journey that they're on. And so how much should they engage with our development or not engage with our development? Um, if you think about this from the grand scheme of uh, the universe and other civilizations, this this experiment probably has happened before, uh, and it probably didn't go well. Um, there were probably some beings that did intervene in the development of a prior, uh, uh, you know, developing species, and thought this would be a great idea to give them some sort of technological help, and that that species ended up just annihilating them themselves. So they may have learned their lesson from that. And maybe that's mm -hmm. why they haven't been so involved. So, I mean, it's again, we could talk about this all night, but I, I think it um, 
it is the question, the fundamental question. And I think we have a long way to go before we're really in a place where we can responsibly handle it personally. It's what's great about doing a show like this, because there are so there are an endless amount of angles to take to this and allude to what you alluded to, Nathan. I mean, they may have uh, had a look uh, down at us. And when Genghis Khan and our Genghis Khan and his armies killed, you know, I don't know, 40 million or so people, you know, uh, from from the East Europe and, and said, wow, look at what these guys are doing. You know, we want to, you know, we help the Egyptians, but we want to stand back a little bit. You know, who knows? We're going to get into that a little more with uh, Dave Smethers and, uh, and um, hey, look over there, Dan Warren coming up soon on our Ancient Structures uh, episode that we're going to do. So I'm looking forward to that to get us all educated. Uh, Debs, uh, any parting thoughts before we say goodbye to this panel and we'll take a quick break so people can use the facilities and then we'll bring on um, the, the who. Well, what's interesting about this topic is it is the concern that people have of, is that why there's so much caution? Is it the nature of reality um, being um, turned upside down for people, right? And they spent a lot of money and people seem to forget that they spent a lot of money having a whole bunch of religious people come together and talk mm -hmm. about that. Um, and so a lot of people are working on that issue behind the scenes. I think that's one of the reasons uh, Bigelow mentioned to um, James Fox that he's concerned because even even UFO researchers have studied, is it going to be an upheaval? Is it going to be a shock? Is the threat really an ontological threat as someone in the SEU conferences mentioned in their videos? I just watched that this morning, right? So I think that's the concern. So I just wanted to point out money has been spent on this issue and I think it's going to continue to be a debate. Yeah. And, um, you know, again, I've said we're, we're not the group that you're looking at on screen here. We're not necessarily re representative of the entirety of the population of either the United States or the world or the, you know, the United or the UK or the world. We are very open to whatever. Hey, how's it going? <laughs> Let's go there. What's up, my buddy? Um, uh, we are open to whatever the truth is, tell us, and we're ready to handle it. And not everybody is in a mind state to, to do that, unfortunately. And uh, But anyway, uh, did Davey get a chance to respond to this? I didn't pass you, did I? No. He, well, he, he gave it back to Ash, but I know we didn't did. get Chris a chance to, to introduce the topic, and I don't know if he wants to do oh, that. Oh, Christopher, or... go ahead, sir. Yeah, hold up. Okay, so publicly, the US Air Force seems to be trying to brush us aside in terms of a topic. However, we know that recently the Air Force and FBI raided homes of a man who ran an Area 51 website. And also, um, we know as well from a recent story that a source told me that um, a mid-grade Air Force officer was reprimanded and admonished by their chain of command for reaching out to task force members, UAP task force. Um, so is there an active campaign to, um, to intimidate people who want to speak out about this topic, um, in terms of people associated with it, reporting on it, um, and potential whistleblowers as well? And do you think that will backfire in terms of the Congress? Dave? I think we're seeing a massive, uh, fight going on behind the scenes and we see it over this report and all the rest of it 
I think that they don't want it out. I think there's been a core group since the 40s, uh, whatever it's MJ12 or whatever, there's some sort of core group that's been going on for ages. Uh, and, and, I, and I think they're the ones who've been keeping the lid on it. I think uh, there was a movement maybe started, there's been every decade there's been a movement of one and those who've tried to get at the truth. That loose ends thing that come out recently was about that. And I think there's been this car group that's kept hold of it. And I think the US Air Force are right in the, up to their ears in this. We're probably the DOE and maybe elements of the IC, most probably CIA and maybe bits of the NRO. And uh, I think, yeah, I think there's a big effort to try and intimidate people. And I think they've got a lot of power for the US Air Force, having been so roundly exposed by Mellon and everybody else, to still keep going and still effectively going, yeah, yeah, yes, we'll do it, and sticking the finger up at the Congress like they are doing. They've got to have some power. So, yeah, I think there's an active effort to do that. And I think some people, notably Mr. Bray, uh, think they can still put the toothpaste back in the tube. And they're trying to follow Mick West's sort of, oh, low information zone stuff. Uh, and anyway, so I think, yes, it's an active effort. And we're seeing that over this report. You'll probably say it's a mundane thing. We didn't have the staff, blah, de, blah, de, blah. But I actually think there's a big fight going on at the moment. And uh, it's interesting. We've got six weeks before, uh, the, you know, the Congress changes power. And I do wonder if nothing's done before that six weeks, whether they'll find a way to put the fix in again, as they always seem to do. So, yeah, so I definitely think Chris is right there. Oh, well, that's my take on what Chris has said anyway. Yeah, and I, I just want to, I don't know if it's a Title Seven here for the FBI. Um, oh, sorry, Title 18. So you have two different authorities for Air Force OSI, you know, which is DOD, Title 50, and then you have uh, Title 18 FDI. So two totally separate uh, organizations saw interest in in going after that guy's house, and I have no idea how legitimate it could be complete uh, BS, uh, the reasons that they used for for raiding that guy's home. But I think it's worth noting that their authorities are from two different titles in the government, and therefore one, the DOD could not direct the FBI to be part in, uh, party to that raid, nor could the FBI direct uh, the USAF uh, OSI to be party to that raid. So both of them saw interest in it, and I guess – uh, uh, made it a joint operation, and actually Ash may 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 be able to weigh in on that as well. Um, so yeah, and with that, let let's go to Ash before we go to Frank Jones, Jesus Jones, David Jones. Go ahead. Uh, what say you, Ash, about that that raid? Yeah, I don't know. I don't know the ins and outs. Obviously, I saw the the report on it. I don't know the detail of it. Um, but what I would say is, there's more than one way to skin a cat, isn't there? And if if this person happened to have something else in their possession that could be used against them, then perhaps that's what's been done. Um, but likewise, it may well be that some of the stuff they were putting on their website, I don't know this, this is just pure speculation, could have been classified uh, or there could have been information on there that could be a risk to national security. So that, you know, there's that to think about as well, isn't there? Because the last thing you want is to put something out there that your adversaries can get hold of and, and can potentially, you know, put your own citizens at risk. Um, so yeah, there, there may be that, that to it as well. Um, so yeah. Who knows? Hopefully more will come out eventually and we'll, we'll understand the full circumstances of it. But there's more than one way to skin a cat. There's more way, more than one way to ruin someone's career, which we have seen as well. Yeah, I just, just react to this. Um, so the Department of Justice would have had to have seen evidence, Ash, that would have 
so that they would have granted that um forgive me uh for missing the term right now um uh to enter into uh, the person's home whatever like that's called huh a warrant, to do a warrant. Right? yeah yeah yes so so a judge a doj judge would have had to have seen that evidence that would not hold for the dod it would have had to have been an air force jag that would have seen evidence that um concurrent with that that would have said we have an interest because of this evidence so two different uh, warrants were issued on an evidentiary basis uh, that two different organizations authorized. Would you agree with that, at least? Yeah, it, it, yeah. It's, I mean, the fact that two different, in, completely separate organizations have had had to ha have oversight of that would seem to suggest there's probably something, yeah, illegal or classified that that, that person had possession of. Yeah, that I I just have have to point that out because they're not connected in in any way. Uh, there has to be, you know. They cannot, uh, uh, the Department of Justice cannot uh, issue a warrant to uh, USAF OSI. And uh, by contrast, uh, an Air Force JAG cannot uh, authorize a warrant by the, to the FBI. So two, two separate entities. All right. Uh, who is next? It's Frank Jones, the drummer, an analyst. How are we doing? Well, yeah. I mean, in terms of the uh, the FBI uh, raid and things like that, I've actually been quite busy doing drumming and analysing over the last couple of weeks. I've not had a chance to look into that particular case. Um, but I think, um, so, I, so I can't really speak about that particular thing without knowing all the, the details. But I think more widely, going back to what, what Dave was saying and, and, and some of what Chris was saying there as well, I think looking at the, the bigger picture, you know, again, it's spoke about a lot, isn't it? You know, people say, oh, the government this, the government that, and all the rest of it. Um, you know, but really, I think what's happening is there's a group of, of one and those who have been, you know, trying to get to the bottom of this from a pretty high up level in terms of like some of the scientists and, and, and people who've been involved, people from the intelligence community over the years, over the decades. And they've been trying to get to what the in the nose know. And there's all kinds of, of wriggle out attempts from whoever it is who's in the know. And again, it's a, it's a whole separate podcast and separate debate about what they actually know, the extent of what they know. But going back to that Loose Threads, um, incredible 240 odd page article, um, that sort of very thoroughly documents this group of, of one and knows going back decades and decades um, of trying to get to whatever is in at the heart of that nut that they're trying to crack and um the uh those that are actually holding on to that knowledge do appear to be going through all kinds of different techniques to wriggle out of reviewing any of it and i think that's something we'll continue to see going along and um i think like i say the, the government is such a huge organization you've got the the one and knows you've got the, the in the nose and then you've got probably 90 odd percent of the government are just in between who are just doing jobs and don't have any interest in this at all and don't have any allegiance to either of those two groups and they're kind of caught up in the middle of that tug of war between the in the nose and the one and those um but it's going to be interesting to see how it plays out isn't it over the next few years we gotta we gotta up nathan we gotta up frank share of the cab ufo ufo uh cab 401k fund Agreed. because he just comes up with so much material all right, we're going to have to make this quick hitters, guys, for the rest of the answers because we've got to get the who on here. So let's make this quick hitters for, for the next couple of you, please. Definitely, yeah. I a Fantastic question, Chris. And I think that, yeah, there is a an element within the U.S. Air Force that is trying to 
hold on to what information it had and not let things out and maintain the status quo as they understood it by whatever means. And my only suspicion is that that motivation is self-preservation in that they are the people who have been aware of it and not sharing the information or they have been sharing with information for commercial gain. And so they're doing what they can to protect themselves. And I think it's we're watching the death throes of that, to be honest. I think they're realizing their time is up. And with that, I think we're going to Money Nathan. I'll be quick. I think there's a, like a secrecy apparatus. There's um, you know several different groups that are working on things, keeping it uh, secret in heaven for some time. And it's just a, really difficult to unwind that. So... And again, we don't know. We don't know what evidence that those warrants were based on. So we don't know what they have. We don't know what what it was based on and what they saw that would be in their interest. If we did know that, then we could, you know, we could pass judgment on it. But up to now, we just know that two different organizations and two different judges granted warrants on that. Let's bring in uh, Deb for her quick comments, and then we're going to take a quick break so everyone can use the facilities, and we're going to bring on the hoop. Yeah, I just think, again, we have to be cautious when we start getting close to bases and possible national security issues. Like, you know, we've seen it time and time again. People get too close and then they send out Dodie or something like that. You know, it's like you got to be careful. Um, We don't want to step into the wrong stuff. (laughs) Yeah. Our friend Richard Dodie. One love, Richard. He got to meet a bunch of our homies from the U.K., all right. Uh, I want to say thank you very much to uh, Frank Jones. Um, I want to say thank you to Christopher Sharp, to uh, Davy Johnston, who came up uh, with another amazing question, to the legendary Dave Smethers, who will be on a, <laughs> a very, a very uh, soon an episode of Cab very, relatively soon to talk ancient structures with Dan Warren while Nathan and I go, huh, this is cool. Uh, and Debs as well. Um, thank you, Ash, for coming on. Um, that was a banger, man. That's, that's all I got to say. Thank you, brother. Um, all right, so we're going to say goodbye to these guys for now. We're going to bring on the who, and we're going to take a quick break, let everybody use use the restroom, and then we'll come back on. So just give it, give us a couple of seconds, okay? Sounds good. All right, bring on the who, everybody. What's up, y'all? Hey. How good are you? Holly. Hi, everyone. Welcome, Holly, Jill, Vinny. And I know we had Graham, but I know he had an early bedtime, so I think we're going to have to catch up with him another another time. But uh, Holly, you're here to help fill in, which would be fantastic. So we've got a full panel. And I guess Frank Milburn, did you guys, were you hanging with him or is he? Uh... he we were. Frank was having audio issues and all sorts of things. He might still pop back on. Um, yeah. This is going to be Led Zeppelin. I got to give a, a huge shout out to all of those guys. They smashed it. So, so good. I wanted Just... to be in on that conversation. Every single talking point was amazing. So, kudos to those guys. Yeah. One bomb I, after I, another. I wanted to make a positive statement about not getting to see Graham today. I am going to have him on the dojo New Year's Eve. So, we're going to talk about the book. So, that gives me until the end of the year to finish the book. That's awesome. Graham Rendell on uh, on uh, Deb's dad and dojo. So everybody check in for that. So we are down Graham Rendell and we are down uh, Davey. Or excuse me, we are uh, down Frank Milburn, uh, Frank. potentially. Frank Milburn. Oh, oh he's coming Uh-oh. on. So I think we'll, yeah. we'll get him on. Awesome. Okay, Nathan, take it away, brother. 
All right, great. So you guys, uh, I think most of you got a chance to watch the first session. So we're going to go around in a, a you know, kind of panel discussion. Uh, looking forward to your topic and then your response. And uh, let's just get into it. So Vinny, I'm going to start with you since you're kind of in the order that I'm looking at. So if you want to kick it off for us, let's go. Awesome. Thank you so much, guys. Yeah, this is really uh, Led Zeppelin really set the bar very, very high there. So yeah, again, kudos to those guys. Um, I do want to say I did guess that, that Holly would be the, the other special guest. So Holly, it's awesome to see you. Really <laughs> nice. is. Um, yeah, they raised some really big talking points there. Um, but I came with some ammunition, you know. I was. <laughs> <laughs> My gun's not empty, baby. Don't get too well, look, comfortable, I, Led Zeppelin. I've got a, a lot of talking points in front of me, and I was going to pick one at the last minute, which I'm going to do. So I was going to, you know, we're nearing the kind of Christmas period. I was going to come with the big existential questions like, does Santa Claus hold the secrets to anti-gravity and, and time manipulation? But, you know, we won't go there just yet. So, no, my question is smoke, about smoking gun evidence. And, you know, James Fox recently released his documentary Moment of Contact. And ever since the release, he's been doing a multitude of interviews and talking about this footage that is said to exist that shows these beings, you know. And if that is legitimate, then that could be a real game changer. So my question and talking point really is about if we get to see this footage that James Fox is confident he will get his hands on, how does that change the conversation? If it's proven to be real, does that make the government irrelevant? Or do we then go to the government and say, what have you got to say about this? And when they answer, do we accept their first answer? If they play ignorant, do we say, we don't believe you? So, you know, does, you know, we've all been waiting for this report and for the government to say this and that. and but. Coming from that other angle, what do you think will happen in the kind of whole big picture of disclosure if we get an outside source coming with a, a legitimate video showing uh, beings from not of this earth? That's an excellent question. I'm going to pass that to Holly. Uh, Holly is uh, one of the hosts of the Weird Sisters podcast. Go check that out if you haven't had a chance to. It's an excellent show. Um, Holly, great to have you with us this evening. So how do you respond to this uh, topic? Oh, we can't. We're not hearing your sound. Sorry. We're not hearing your mic. Oh, barely. I can we're hear you in the faint. background. Very, very, very faint. Let me see if I can boost you here. Have a look, brother. Can you hear me now? We can barely hear you. Check your settings on your end. Love. Yeah, everything's fine. My end. Okay. I boosted her all the way. We, we'll just have to be very yeah, quiet. Check check all the settings you know what L let's do this nathan why don't we go to somebody else and then holly check the settings because we have you all the way up on our end so check both your microphone make sure you're using the same mic in your laptop whatever you check settings on the bottom of Streamyard. you can't be mate you can't be nothing can stop me i'm all the way up <laughs> Sorry, Harvey, I'll call you. I'll, he loves hip hop, so he got that one. Nothing can stop me. I'm all the way up. I'm gonna call you off offline. Let's go with the next person. I'll call you. Great. I'll mute myself. All right. Uh, so Jill, we've got Jill with us, and Jill, uh, tell us a bit about your background. I'm not as familiar with it, but I know you're an experiencer, and we're really grateful to have you with us this evening. So before you answer that, if you just want to give us a a quick uh, update about about yourself, that'd be great. You're oh, on you're mute, on, Jill. Sorry. <laughs> Can everyone hear me now? 
Loud and clear. Sounds good. Yeah. Okay. Excellent. Um, my background is uh, military, British Army. I was in for 10 years. Um, I've been out quite a while now. Mum of two kids. Um, and I had an incredible experience uh, during the first lockdown. Um, I don't know. Do you guys want to hear it? Sure. Yeah. I, I, if you can give it. Give us the five minute summary. That'd be great. Yeah, sure. So um, during the first lockdown, it was incredibly quiet here. And my neighbor and I, uh, Joe, decided to start taking walks in the evening. So we'd leave the house about 10 o'clock at night and walk around the village. I, I live in it's, it's a small town. And one evening we were walking back in, uh, up through a park, back up to the house. And I noticed a really bright, I don't know, star or whatever you want to call it. I thought it was the front end of a helicopter. Um, and I was looking like this and I said, what's that? And as I, I can only describe it like this, as I saw it, it saw me and it zoomed right in to about 30 foot. So just above the houses, like a two story house and um, hovered there. It was probably a little bit larger than a basketball. It had um, what looked like lightning strikes coming out of it. Um, it hovered there for a while and then just floated off into the distance up over the hills and in where, where there's um, sort of farms and things. Um, but that continued for nine evenings um, in different locations because we wanted to test if it was going to different places, if it was coming to see us. Um, my kids saw it. My neighbour obviously saw it. Um, and after that, I think over the period of about two years, I had um, various sightings of different crafts. Um, I've seen teardrop shapes. I've seen huge um, black ones that are blacker than the sky, but with green and pink lights on the peripheral of it. Um, I suppose you get the usual, um, it's not like they're quiet. It's like the area is muted everything is muted when they appear. I did at some point try to film. Uh, before that, I felt like it was rude. I, I can't explain it any other way. Um, and so when I did try to film, and it was to send to my mum, you know, it was for nothing else. And as I tried to send it to her, I, I played it again to look at it. And for the first time ever, it was corrupted. The video was corrupted. It went from naught to 38 seconds like this, and um, that was never repaired. Um, the other locations we went to were just up the back here where I walk the dog. Um, there's lots of fields there, and we went up and sat. And there's um, a row of pine trees. They're about 30 foot as well. And it came up and over the pine trees very, very slowly. At this point, it was a lemon yellow color with the same sparkles or whatever coming out of the side of it um, and we watched it go in front of us like this and this is it must be 20 30 foot and then go along the hedgerow and as it was going off into the distance 
it got smaller and smaller so it started to look like a satellite and we're still watching it and another one came from the left and as if to intercept it and then it shot off into the stratosphere um, so I, I had some really incredible sightings and that's it in a nutshell I suppose. <laughs> I mean, that, that's fantastic. Uh, that's no small experience. Well, I mean, that's a good segue, I think, to to Vinny's question. So you've had a, a personal experience with this, and I'm sure that it's changed you in some some profound ways. And, and Vinny's topic about what would happen if some actual evidence like we've been hearing about from uh, James Fox about a, an actual creature, if that were to get released in, in the, into the public, what do you think the response would be? I, you know... I've seen things in broad daylight and everyone is looking down. Everyone is on their phone. They're getting on with their lives. And they just don't see it. They're not looking. And I don't know, the culture that we're living in today, um, I don't know if they take any interest. I, I really don't. I think people like us would be interested. But people are so focused on their own personal lives and what's happening in their circles. Um, I don't really know how um, the general public would respond anymore. Maybe years ago, there would have been more interest, but now it's so commercialized. Um, and of course, someone would debunk it or, you know, it, there would always be controversy. So I think it's really difficult to answer that question. There's always going to be someone saying it's not real. Right. Um, really difficult. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I agree. Holly, want to try uh, your, your mic again? Let's see if we can. Dun, da, dun, da, dun. Okay, sounds good. I'm going to dial you Who's down. Who's in the house? There Holly pressed button. She didn't know even existed. Perfect, uh -oh. mate. Perfect. There we go. Much better. Just stop and stuff, though. Um, yes, sound issues. So, um, yes, great to be here. Um, we might have to circumnavigate back to the question because I got all a bit flustered with sound. Sorry, Vinny, what was the question again? So, uh, so James Fox has been discussing recently, um, yeah. since the release of his documentary on the Virginia case, that he's in contact with people who claim to have a, a 30 second plus um, video showing the actual creature that was supposedly captured during that incident back in 1996. And he is confident that at some point he will get hold of this footage and be able to release it. Now, if that's the right. case and it is released, does that make the government irrelevant because we have conclusive proof? And I mean, if James Fox releases it, it still has to be proven to be real. But if that's the yeah. case from, you know, various sources and people have analyzed it. Yes, this is real footage. Does the government become irrelevant for their information? But at the same time, when we ask the government about what they know, do we accept their first answer? You know, if it's just no. a bit vague and they play ignorant, you know, where does the conversation go from there that we've got this legitimate footage? It, it, it's a really interesting one, isn't it? I am. Um, firstly, when I seen James's film, um, the one thing that, that really stuck with me after that film was um, how that little, little being was projecting its fear and those girls felt its fear and it stuck with me quite horrifically for, for a few days afterwards. And, you know, watching him on your show and other people's show, hearing him talk about this evidence, I, I posed this question to myself quite a few times. You know, what would we do if, if it came from another source? I think 
I think there would still be this strong disbelief. Um, I think there's a lot of the, the general everyday people that, that no matter where the source comes from, they would they still would be untrusting of it. I think a lot of people aren't aren't wanting to to accept the reality of the situation that that there is beings, other intelligences from, you know, I don't know where they're from. I don't know where they live. I don't know if they're dimensional. You know, I, I don't know. I just don't think there would be worldwide acceptance as quickly as, as maybe those of us that are, are into the topic would, would, would take and, 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 and digest. I would love to be in that situation. I would absolutely, you know, you know, dance around with some trousers on my head if, if that happens and James did get his hands on <laughs> I've got such a way with words, I know. Um, if James <laughs> could get his hand on 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 this footage, and you know, I hear he is very confident that he can, but I just don't think we would have the the worldwide reaction that that, that we would hope. I think that people need a government stamp to make it real, even though I think those of us that are into the topic might not. Um, that I think people still need. Like this is real from from the powers that be, and you know we all know that the powers that be don't tell the truth. We know that there's been seventy odd years of secrecy. We we know we've been sent in misdirections numerous times. So, um, yeah, hard one to answer. But my God, hurry up, James, release it, man, release it. <laughs> Absolutely, uh, fantastic. Well, Frank, uh, I'd love to get your thoughts on this. Um, why don't you jump hi, in? Yeah, hi guys, everybody, hear me okay? Sounds good. Okay, yeah. I was going to say, in terms of releasing the footage, um, and if it's you know, proven beyond all doubt to be to be real, I don't think that makes the government irrelevant or the US government, because then you're still going to be wanting to ask the question: Well, if the footage is real, then was the craft shot down? What was the role of the US Air Force uh, in terms of arriving in country? Uh, was there an ongoing program uh, between the Brazilian government and the Americans ongoing cooperation? In in terms of recovery of craft, possibly downing of craft, recovery of craft and associated beings. And, um, you know, how long has this been going on? What are the results of any research from that? Uh, are there any live uh, beings that were recovered? Um, so I think it opens up um, more of a can of worms for the American government and the Brazilian government um, if the footage is in fact proven to be real. Yeah. Yeah, that's great feedback. Um... And this is such a, I, this topic is, I thought about this a good bit, right? It's um, like, who's in charge of this message, right? And, and who do we need to hear from in order to legitimize this and take it seriously on a worldwide stage? I think that that is the question. Uh, and we don't live in a world that has, uh, you know, the trust in its institutions that it used to. And so we're dealing with a, a very fragmented uh, state of truth, quote unquote. And so who are the parties that will need to get behind, throw their weight behind evidence or the message or whatever it is for everyone to take it seriously? Because I think we live in a world where we have billions of different truths. Everyone operates in their own you know, information bubble. So I, that's why I think the experiencer piece is actually a pretty big part of this, because to me, once you have an official kind of disclosure from that type of evidence, not only that, but also perhaps a government piece, then you have the experiencer piece, which is your 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 neighbor, your your mother, your brother, you know, these are people that you know who then tell you 
I've had something happen to me like this. It's real. And that is hard to ignore. And when you've heard the stories that we've heard, I know many of us have on this panel, it's, it's something that you can't shake. You can't just kind of easily brush that off when you've heard that kind of story over and over again with similar details from so many different people from all walks of life. It's very difficult to ignore that kind of truth. And I think that's, that's the secret kind of uh, power of the experiencer uh, reality is that it, it, it is intermingled throughout our world and will help in making this effective whenever we've kind of hit that transition or tipping point. I want to hear from DJ. What do you think about that, DJ? Um, I, I tend to agree with, you know, it's, it's, it's funny that Davey posed a very similar question to that, you know, a similar answer to that, you know, who do we need to hear from? And a lot of people will look at the Brazilians, especially if they're an exceptionalist. We have a lot of American exceptionalists that if it didn't emanate from this country and has not uh, been broadcast or espoused or formed in this country. And I've heard, I have friends in MotoGP and I'm like, Hey, how come you're not watching MotoGP right now? They're like, oh, because there's no Brits in it. So we're watching Moto2 and we're watching World Superbike. I'm like, well, what's the difference? It's the best motorcycle riding in the world. Yeah, but there's no Brits in it. So those are my my British uh, MotoGP fans. So I think something very similar will occur, even if that evidence uh, is proven to be true by the Brazilians. Some of them, some people, and by the way, this hat is in is in honor of the Who right here. That's why I'm wearing the, the Union Jack hat is, is to to champion on uh, my brothers and sisters in the who today. Um, and and some people say, oh, it's a jungle culture. They're South Americans. They don't know what they're doing. You know, shoot, Mick West, look how he shot down that Chilean video. Uh, but that doesn't take away from the efficacy of it. The Brazilians are quite competent. They're, they're a partner nation of both of our, our countries. And... Um, uh, in this case, of uh, the po the folks on this panel, and so I think it's significant evidence. But as you say, there will only be a segment of the world population. Uh, certainly, the Portuguese-speaking nations in Africa and otherwise will will take it to heart uh, what, what the Brazilians uncover if if that video does become public. But I think there will also be a significant uh, and probably a majority of the world's population that will uh, probably ignore it. I just before sorry to interrupt, but I think what what this conversation has proven is that people often say that we don't need the government for disclosure, but if we get a video that is confirmed to be legitimate, then post disclosure means a lot more work because people say to me regularly, "What are you going to do post disclosure?" Because isn't that your job done? And I'm like, <laughs> "Well, no, no, it's going it's... to throw up a million more questions, and that will be ongoing for many years." And these are the intricacies that I was kind of raising in that question. It wasn't so much to do with James Fox and his footage, but it was more to do with if we get footage from outside of a government source that is proven to be legitimate, does the world pay attention? Does the public pay attention? Do the government then uh, fess up? There are so many intricacies that come after that. And so my job certainly will not be done, you know, with, with that. So it's, it's a really, it's a mess. It's a mess still. Vin, two things. One thing I want to ask you is that certainly if, if that if that uh, evidence doesn't come from the government, it will need the Brazilian government to legitimize it. 
Otherwise, it's just anybody from the U.S. putting out a video. So it doesn't matter, or anybody from any country that's putting out a video saying this is the actual craft and this is the being. So it will need a, a legitimacy to emanate from their government, and I still think they have a heavy hill to climb, even if the Brazilian government goes, okay, the jig's up, this is real. Second question is, I know that just on UFOs alone, you're never, you're never going to run out of content, but uh, will there ever be a Bigfoot episode on Disclosure Team? Hell yeah, man. Yeah! And I'll tell you why. Bigfoot community! <laughs> I have recently reached out to Cliff Barrickman. Yeah! Like, Finding Bigfoot! Could, yeah, whether he comes on or not. But do you know who I really want to speak to? Is Bobo. James Bobo Faye. I can yeah. I, I can help you with either of those guys because a new yes, a new yeah. friend of Cab who is gonna do another he did an episode with us named Matt Knapp. Um he did uh the last episode with us and he's gonna do one we have on She Squatchers from Minnesota. Matt Knapp is coming on and he and I actually may even do something together. Um I will ask him. Um, to Dude, help you out with uh, get me Bobo, but one thing, DJ, you or, promised that you weren't going to bring up Bigfoot on this show. It's too late. I said it at the beginning. I it, I already dirtied the water so that it happened. Now nah, get me Bobo, brother. Get me Bobo. Okay, I will. I will uh, ask Matt Knapp to help out with that because he's going to have you, on man. Priscilla on his show. Nice, good Bigfoot show. Bigfoot show, yeah. So nice, excellent. Well, I want to hear from Deb before we uh, start the next topic, Deb. Well, I mean, I wish that it would be the case that they would put out a video and everyone would go, oh, well, yeah, now we believe it. But it's just it's just the wrong time. Um, if it had been done in the 50s, maybe then. But now everyone's still going to go at CG. Like, that's what that's what scares me. And we're still going to have um, people who don't believe no matter what. And and that's safe for them. We have to understand that's psychological perspective. It's safe for them and comfortable for them. So, you know, it could take decades for people to fully accept. That's so. a great point, man, that the timing is, is significant that if it would have happened before the era of digital photography, that is, that is really a great point, Deb. I'm sorry to jump in there, Nathan. No, no, it's a fantastic point. Uh, excellent. Well, I love that conversation. It's, it's a big deal. Um, well, Jill, I want you to uh, introduce your, your topic, so let's put you on real quick. Mystery guest. Oh, okay. Yeah, my homie, Jillian Osborne. <laughs> I am, um, I don't know, I started to look at, we have um, a government website um, for UFO sightings, um, and I looked at them to see how many had been similar to mine. Um, and there's, I don't know, is it 10,000 reports? No, something something like that and um, so it's a lot that I printed off and there are quite a few that are very similar to mine but it read me down it led me down a little rabbit hole um and I found out about um project condine has anyone heard of that yep you have mm -hmm. yeah I, I didn't know yeah, it quite a bit. Yeah, I know, yeah, I, know I know a lot yeah <laughs> several I know a lot about that <laughs> well, that was my topic so Oh, just if we've heard of Project Condine. Okay, excellent. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, who wants to take that? For Actually, Vinny, I'm going to give it to you since we're in the rotation. So uh, go for yeah, it. Yeah, Project Condine is an extremely important document, especially coming from the UK mm. side of things. I mean, 
there have been many conversations had about it, about where it came from. Now, the US government tried to get this kind of study done from the mid-90s, and it never happened until the third iteration, which happened in the year 2000. Yeah, it was released in the year 2000, but I think it's they started um, putting it together in about 97. And it was actually an ex-defense uh, intelligence officer, uh, Ron Haddo, that wrote it. Now, he had retired by that time, and it's a very, I've, I see a lot of contradictions in that document, you know, that UFOs are most likely ball lightning and all of these prosaic explanations, but at the same time, it doesn't actually rule out anything, you know, non-human. It's a very, um, it's a windy road, that document, if you look into it. There's a lot of important redactions in there, which you can, you know, David, Dr. David Clark, my colleague and friend was the, the guy that kind of got that released. And, you know, he's had conversations with people in, in the government, in the Ministry of Defense about it. Uh, and, and there's a lot of little points that you can kind of piece together in there. Um, I'd love to hear Frank's thoughts on it. And then maybe I can then jump in a little bit after that, because I, I kind of need to and see what he has to say and come at it with certain aspects of that. It's, it's, I could, I could go into it for hours, but I, I like a conversation on it and not just me talking about it. It's, it's, it's very, very interesting. Sounds good. Well, Frank, let's pass it to you. Yeah, thanks very much. Um, it is an imperfect document. There are a lot of contradictions, but there are also some incredible nuggets that are inside it. Um, I mean, it says, you know, that UAP exists is indisputable, right? And then it talks about their characteristics. And then it says, you know, the purpose of the report, um, basically to, to identify if there's a threat to the UK and then to identify any potential technologies of interest. So, I mean, those are pretty um, you know, important aspects there. Um, and even though it says that, um, that the report itself, that, that there isn't any information of significant defence intelligence value, it says there are a number of technological issues that, that are of uh, you know, defence interest. Um, the other things that I found really important from it um, is the fact that it looks at you know, what the Russians and the Chinese were doing in terms of the, uh, of their own UAP investigations, and the fact that the UK um, said that um, you know the, uh, the Russian um, colonel um, source used Sokolov had basically said that Russian pilots and aircraft had been lost trying to intercept UAP. Um, so even though the, the the UK report saying it's of no significant you know um, you know defense intelligence interest, you have to ask yourself at that time that the USSR was the UK and the USA and NATO's principal. Uh, you know, strategic competitor. Okay, so the Russian Air Force was a major threat. Um, you know, to the UK, to to, to to all NATO partners. So, if the Russians were considering UAP to be very much a threat, which which Sokolov says they were, then would it not be logical to consume, uh, to assume that the RAF, that the USAF, and all their NATO uh, you know partners also considered um, you know uh, um, UAP to be a threat? And also, the very interesting section, which is a uh, um, often overlooked, and it says, and it says, it's basically saying when the UK would consider UAP to be a threat. Now, think forward to what's been going on more, more recently, um, both in terms of what's happened in NATO countries and also in the US. So it says um, that UAP would be considered to be a threat if they could successfully penetrate the, defend, the defensive um, area of the UK, the air defense region of the UK. Okay, that's number one. Um, they would be considered a threat if they it could cause damage, any kind of physical effects or electronic effects, if there's a, a risk of an air hazard, such as a, you know, a collision or damaging um, you know, airliners or other aircraft. 
It would also be considered a threat by the UK if objects found within the airspace were found to be hostile, if challenged, and invited and to outmaneuver our own airborne or ground-based air defenses, right? Then the next uh, uh, parameter they look at, um, whether the UK would consider uh, you know, UAP to be a threat, if controlled objects could enter and leave the UK air defense region, having possibly obtained intelligence data, e.g. Im imagery, electronic intelligence, etc. So the real little nugget it's in there. And if you take what the, the Brits were saying, uh, and this was Defense Intelligence 55, back in uh, 2000, and, uh, sorry, back in 1990, I wrote the report, um, and you bring that forward, it's really, really quite pertinent to what's uh, happening in the conversation that we're having today. Hey, and Nathan, I just want to point out one thing here today, because I just want to give a shout out. We have two members of the Royal Parachute Infantry Regiment here today, Frank and Jillian. So what's up with that? Amazing. Yeah. Anyway, I'm Definitely. sorry. I'll t pass it back over. Frank and no, Jillian. Excellent analysis, Frank. Thank you. Um, Holly. Oh, let me miss you real quick. See, everyone looks for this mute button in real life. Trust me. Um, <laughs> boom. You know, as you were talking then, Jill, when you, you were posing your question, I, I was, it strikes me, and I might go off on a tangent here, that those of us that are experiencers, we, we we look for vindication and authenticate. I can't get the word out. Authent that word, and, and we start trying to attach our experiences to tangible reports and things that have come out from the government to to kind of or you know to kind of make sense of what's happened to us. And earlier in the conversation with with the other group, you know, there was a lot of talk around how experiences are not necessarily overlooked but we're not always in the conversation and it just struck me that you know with your experience and then you 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 know looking at the Google website and you're looking for things as well it I think I'm going completely off topic but I think the point I'm trying to make is that you know a lot of these reports it's not it's what they don't say that's often quite relevant but I also think it comes back to the us having an experience at time that that weaves a narrative into these reports so you know are we getting information in the right way is information being left out purposefully and i think my my small knowledge of that report it's definitely around what's not in there is what i took from it yeah the one thing i would say on that is that ron haddo worked on this on his own with a little bit of help from wow. his secretary, that's about it. They did have access to yeah, SEC-AS, but, you know, SEC-AS weren't the ones investigating the UFO cases. We know it was DI-55. And they looked at a period over about 10 years for the main cases for the majority of what went into the document. But what I think what's pertinent is that it, we've been asking and shouting out the UFO community has to the US government to go right back to 1947. And what the UK government should have done and still should do is go back that far as well because some of the best cases that i personally have researched are coming from the 50s where we have multiple sensor radar data everything and testimony from cases involving uap with pilots you know all military personnel so to have one man who was retired then come back and do a report in three years on his own trying to get information it could have been so much better and i think that has to be taken into account when looking at the document this is amazing to have can i, can I add that quickly 
Yeah, I was going to say, we have you, Frank, who knows the insider view of this, and Vinny, who has studied it from the outside. Yeah, please. Go ahead, please. Amazing. I was just saying, but, um, you know, when I was a young intelligence officer, and I was working with the Royal Air Force, and working with Royal Air Force intelligence in the early 90s, um, you know, and then and later, when, when I came out, and then I, I'm looking at things like Condine Report, there's a very big disconnect between what intelligence officers um, were doing in terms of UAP and, and what was going on in terms of, uh, you know, DR-55. Um, you know, the people who were debriefing and, and briefing, you know, squadrons and pilots and aircrew uh, had to have a very different perspective from what, what DR-55 had to say. Interesting. It seems like it's filtered, doesn't it? It's the, there's a yeah. filter that goes on in between people yeah. um, when they're reporting these things. Um, I also, I don't know, um, it wasn't peer-reviewed. Um, so, I mean, to to have something unpeer-reviewed, unpeer but also, um, and like you said, if it was only him that was doing the report himself, who is he to speculate about orbs in the sky being yep. um, electrical activity or some sort of phenomenon that nobody else knows about, no scientists know about this phenomena um, that's appearing in the skies and just to write it off. And that that was only ever said when there was the Freedom of Information request to open up the document. You know, so of course it's hidden. It's, yep. it's all hidden. All I've been lucky enough to have conversations with members of DI-55 that worked there during the 90s off the record. Now, it's not my place to to say anything publicly, but it's a very different conversation from what we're having and the information that we know about. So that throws up so many questions, and it's really, really eye-opening just how much the British government, the Ministry of Defence, the military don't want to talk about this subject. You know, we always feel like we follow what the US is doing, but so far... We've not heard a peep. So let's just hope in the next few years, mm. if we start seeing progression in the US, that the UK follows suit. I'm not yeah. confident it'll happen, but I but I hope it will. I do want to say also oh, sorry, that... Um, two... oh, 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 sorry. No, you go ahead, mate. I'll follow you. Oh, okay. Um, that where I live, and you Brits will know it just by me sort of talking about it, um, it's a military location, quite a significant one, and I've, I've, I'm being led to believe that it is soon to be HQ for PSYOPs. And wow. during my experiences, um, there was a significant amount of military aircraft in the area all the time. Um, we could see them during the day, during the evening. Um, and going in directions that weren't usual, very big aircraft, you know. So, yeah, that was really, and that, I've heard that from inside, that that's the intention, that this is going to be PSYOPs HQ. Um, wow. So it's interesting when you think about the things I've seen and then you wonder, is it fake? <laughs> you know, and I, I can't help but think that because even though you've seen it, you go down the route of, oh, wow, that's incredible. And then you go off on a sort of another path of what if it's something else? And so you start to investigate that as well. Um, so, yeah. It, but what would be the point of it? Is it just new technology for, well, for PSYOPs, you know, for war? Um, 
and is, are they testing it out on us? <laughs> yeah, Frank, do you want to come back on that? Yeah, I was just going to say, I mean, a big problem I have with the Condon report, based on my own experiences in the military and also what it actually says, um, in the Condon report, it says um, there's never been attempted, there's never been an attempted intercept in the UK defence region. Well, we know that's rubbish because in the, um, the 1957 uh, Milton Torres case, uh, which is actually uh, an American aircraft, an American pilot, uh, under operational uh, command of uh, the Royal Air Force, basically protecting the UK air defence region. And then also there was um, uh, Major Major George Fuller, yeah, who does wonders for us. And he actually you knows that he was part of an AWOL uh, crew, uh, flight crew, and they attempted to intercept multiple UAPs over, over the central United Kingdom. So, you know, there's a whole lot of stuff that's basically missing from this report. I can't say another in the sense you know, intercept over, over the, in the UK defense region. We know that there has been. So, that, that, but still, there's a lot of um, a lot of very not nice in the report, you know, as I pointed out. So, you have to take the kind of good parts of it. And, and also, I forget, and Ron, Ron Hatter, he's an expert on, like, uh, on radars uh, and on, uh, on defeating radars, right? That's what he wrote his, his PhD on. So, you can see that interest in exploiting the military, uh, extracting you know, what he can uh, for, for future UK military capabilities from, from the study of the UAP. So that's another interesting. Mm, yeah. Well, I mean, the, the thread that I have here from this too is that um, we are looking for that link between personal experience and, and sort of collective legitimate uh, truth and knowledge and, you know, that seal of approval. Right. So there needs to be that connecting uh, point between what we're seeing and, and experiencing on a very personal level and what is happening at a large scale. This is true level. And these reports are are doing that, but not in a in a way that satisfy and meet the need that we have for those answers. Um, and so what report will come out that will hopefully get us closer to addressing those answers? And, and is, is such a report even possible? Um, I don't know. And it certainly would look very different than anything we've ever seen. No, nothing like this, nothing like Blue Book. Uh, you know, it would take it so much further than just that superficial. And I'm, and I'm saying that word, making it sound like it's very, you know, trite, but the superficial government layer, because this is a multi-layered cake. You know, it's it's not just our governments looking at this, but it's our people and the people of the world. Um, so hopefully we do get something like that one day. I think we need it. Absolutely. I think one thing that I find shocking about the UK government is, for example, we know that the UK released a whole load of files into the National Archives from 2007, 8 and 9. And you know, I was lucky enough to go down to the archives and look at the documents that have yet to be digitized. These are only in physical format. You have to go down and you kind of have to know, you have to ask for the files in advance. So if you don't know what you want to look at, you don't know what to ask for. And so I did a lot of preparation and went down there. I found cases of, of craft being witnessed by multiple school children, cases we'd never seen before. So many things like that. These are on par with kind of aerial school and, and Westall, but we've never heard of them. Never heard of them. And that I find really shocking that 
it's never been reported on. So there's so much to come out of the UK government still for, for many years. Frank was talking about the Milton Torres case. We've got the the uh, Lake and Neath Bentwaters from, I think it was 52. We've got all the sightings in Operation Mainbrace, 1956. Some of them are the most compelling multi-data uh, collected cases in, in, in UK history. There's so much we, we can still learn and, and bring out on, on, on things in the UK. Mm. Yeah. I love this discussion. DJ, I want to get you to weigh in on this one as well. Yeah, I'm going to use an aircraft analogy for this one and in relative to the Condon report. And uh, one of the uses of something called a Kalman filter, K-A-L-M-A-N, is when you're taking analog air data and you're feeding it through a Kalman filter, it can then be digitized and fed into a mission computer. And the problem that we're having is that that Kalman filter is something like, in this case, the British government. It could be the, the U.S. government or whatever. Pick a government that you want, France, you know, Italy, whatever. And then what comes out of it has already passed through that Kalman filter, which is their sensors. And they have digitized that information and presented it in a way that they want us to see it the way a Kalman filter uh, takes that information and presents it to the mission computer in a way that the mission computer can then ingest that data and formulate its algorithm with that. Without that, without that data, that we couldn't compute a climb or a dive or whatever that 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 system is looking for. So the Kalman filter does that job. The problem for us as consumers of UFO information is that we don't want that Kalman filter. We want that, that data to come in and come directly to us in its original form because, as I said, a grouping such as ours is ready to take that information in and analyze it and accept it and come to peace with that information, and we're not in need of a Kalman filter. I can't say that necessarily for everybody that's in the world, but I know that the people that I've met uh, largely not – Completely. If you go through UFO Twitter, there are people that are not ready for that. And those are the people that are looking to debunk every aspect of something that's obviously true because they've, because they've legislated on this uh, on, on the basis of seeing uh, evidence that we've yet to seen and only have heard of. So anyway, that, that, that's my interpretation. We don't need that Kalman filter. Uh, because what we're getting out of that is the Condine report, and and it's it's like in other countries that we really don't care for. We just want the the information. Mm, yeah, I love that insight, that perception management aspect to it. Um, Deb, what do you think? Well, I just wanted to say, when it comes to reports, it's one of my favorite things to look at. Um, some people are aware that in the 90s in the United States, they put out something like a 900-page report on how Roswell was not real. <laughs> like, that was 900 pages. And when it comes to <laughs> these, it was, you know, it was basically a book. So when it comes to these reports, we get 70 pages. And then some of those pages we basically have to beg for. Um, I guess I just wanted to chime in and say when it comes to reports, I would like the table to be turned. Can we get the 900 pages on how this is real? Thank you very much. <laughs> yes. 
That sounds great, Deb. What's uh, up well, to Jill's son? Is that Jill's son? What's up, buddy? <laughs> That's right. Jill, we've uh, we've had a wonderful time with you on the show this evening, and we've only scratched the surface of your experience, so we yeah. look forward to getting that full story uh, another time. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much, and I'll speak to you all soon, okay? All right. Sounds good. Take care. Bye, Bye guys. Bye. All right, so I'm going to, uh, let's see, who's got the next topic here? We've, uh, Is it I think uh, it's Holly. I believe it's Holly. I believe it's Holly. Holly, yes. what? Should I say it now, DJ? I got oh. kicked out of a cult today. Yeah! <laughs> <laughs> Just <What>? one. <laughs> Good job. I know. I didn't even know I was in it until I got kicked out. What have you done today, Nathan? Come on. Did you get kicked out of a cult? (laughs) Not enough, apparently. Yeah. (laughs) Hey, it's not even Monday. It's not even Monday, but hey, that's how I roll. So, my topic uh, will be no surprise to those that know me, will be a little bit wooey ish. But, um, (gasps) so (gasps) hold on to your underpants. You ready? You ready for going in? (laughs) So, given my work within sort of human initiated contact, experiences and events and my very own brands of C5. I am convinced through my own experiences and, and those of my peers around me that, that pace it out, that we are, there is a very strong link between consciousness and them, whatever they may be. And I believe that that expands further into that we're all part of a grand ecosystem of a galactic proportion. And within that, information is shared in, in really interesting ways. Recently, Dr. Gary Nolan said, that, um, the, and Vinny, you will quote me if I'm wrong, at Jay's, <laughs> and James's event, Inquiry into the Anomalous, he said um, there is something to, to the degree of that there's information being passed you know, between brains and and we're, we're kind of um, being able to tap into that information and all of his work around sort of the enlarged basal ganglia and our science <laughs> might not, of course, I love saying that. Our science, our understanding. I salute your basal ganglia. <laughs> it's not a disease. It's definitely not. <laughs> no, doesn't it or anything. Anyway, I'm being silly. So my, my question is... Um, If we are all connected, my topic, if we are all connected to the grand ecosystem and consciousness is a thing, do we believe that the powers that be, um, you know, departments of defense, you know, whatever, or have an understanding that consciousness does do something? And if so, do we believe that they are developing technology to weaponize this between, weaponize the link? Because I believe there is a strong link, but how are they you know, are the powers that be, are they able to make it more tangible? I think is my question. Is it, are they able to use it for benefit to be able to make contact with them? Mm, Great question. Vinny? That's really, really interesting. And my answer will be highly speculative, obviously, because we don't have any kind of tangible proof on that. But I think if, you know, like some of the, the stories may claim that, you know, the U.S. government had a, a downed craft and access to living entities following 1947 yeah. and consciousness and, um, you know, the ability to speak without speaking, you know, that telepathic communication. And if that kind of study has been going on since the late 40s, 
Then you have to look at the Stanford Research Institute and remote viewing and all that. Does all that link to it about using the, the, the power of the brain and the mind to, 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 to see things, to view things? Did that come from that? You know, so many possibilities. Um, so, I mean, when it comes to CE5 and Heist, I'm very open to that possibility. I like to keep an open mind. Um, I won't shoot it down until there's... Uh, you know, proper evidence to say that it does, that it's not real. But like anything, and I do listen to great minds like Gary Knoll and, and things like that. So I think for that conversation, it's still a case of I keep my eye on it. I'm very open to it. And I will not knock anybody who may whose belief systems may be further down the line than mine are. So, yeah, that's probably not a really particularly deep answer. But, you know, that's just kind of as far as I take it, that I'm very open to it. I keep my eye on it. And probably about it i think let me, hey, Vin, let me come back we, at you with one sorry go ahead dj i, I was just gonna say when you think about great minds you think about great gary nolan think about dr diana pasolka does dj yeah. come right after that well i thought that was just with you know we just <laughs> we, we just keep you at the top and then we go like below that it says it goes without saying <laughs> God, <Nathan. laughs> yeah we get there eventually we do um <laughs> absolutely man uh no i well i want to ask you this follow-up so uh, do you think it's safe to say that if the government was able to master this that the, and again we are being very speculative uh that they would do so uh, and i know frank would answer I, I'm, I'm i'm thinking frank's gonna answer this yes because of the power of this technology but what, what would you say to that if they had if they could do it what do I think? I think they would go to all ends of the earth to master it, to to weaponize it, to use it to to their benefit. And like I said, if it, if we look at remote viewing, the powers of what they could or what they attempted to use that for, you know, it's endless. It's endless possibilities. You know, it was government, CIA, military. Mm. Of course, it was. If, you know, you say weaponized, you don't mean it as a necessarily as a weapon, but certainly for advantage in in a military sort of aspect. So, yeah, why not? Of course, you know, it, a lot of arrows kind of point in that direction. We'll see. I don't know. I just yeah. don't know. I'm very, very bad at being speculative. <laughs> it's all good. All good. Well, <laughs> let's hear from Frank. What do you think about this one, Frank? What about a uh, in general, or about uh, Holly, you want to reset your question? I mean, I keep it, yeah. So, you know, would, would consciousness or how we use consciousness in our brains as a way of connecting on all levels? Do we believe that if the government could weaponize that connection for their own benefit, would they? Oh, I think we know that they already have that. I mean, certainly according to, <laughs> yeah, I mean, so if you uh, read um, Nick Bedford's book, um, what's it called? End of Days. Uh, it's one about the, I, I reread it uh, only a couple of weeks ago. It's the one about the Collins elite. They're definitely uh, trying to get in contact uh, with, you know, people you'd call mediums, effectively. And I keep a very open mind being a, being an experiencer, but they actually had very bad results that um, people who, they, who tried to contact these kind of other higher consciousness or entities. One of them ended up with um, almost kind of like a, well, they ended up dead. One had like a crushed skull. One, one died from asphyxiation. And, and the other one died in another horrible way. Um, and this is basically trying to be in contact with these entities. But I think the government definitely trying to weaponize that. Whether it's for understanding, whether, whether it's like the experiments that the, 
East Europeans and, and the Soviet bloc did, um, where you know basically you could um, uh, you know you could kill people but with the power of your mind from you know, thousands thousands of kilometers away. Whether it's um, understanding how to um, operate the controls of, of an advanced UAP using your consciousness, whether it's uh, trying to be in contact with with, um, with ET or whoever it is, some other consciousness. Um, I think if you look at what happened at Skinwalk, I mean, the people there definitely tried to make contact with, you know, the, the phenomenon or phenomena there at Skinwalk. And if you've got something that can, um, you know, uh, uh, you know, exsanguinate cows, um, you know, within sight of ranches during the day, you know, 400 meters away and, you know, in physical entities and um, they're so, you know, cryptid that can survive uh, gunshots from high velocity rounds, then um, you'll you know, want to weaponize all of those capabilities. One, you don't want to understand, you know, what, what's the level of threat to your own forces. Then you're going to want to understand how to weaponize that, um, and then third, and also you're going to want to want to mitigate um, those things that are operating at places like Skinwalker uh, against your own forces. Then also you're going to want to protect it all um, against uh, any other you know sort of terrestrial adversary getting their hands on it. So, so yeah, um, anything that can be weaponized will be weaponized. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, no, no doubt, right? Um, so, you know, it's a very interesting question, and I wonder as well, um, at least, you know, speculated about this with Darren on liminal frames, but the degree to which other beings who may have uh, greater mastery over consciousness uh, and its ability to uh, enhance or uh, change reality or perceived reality, do they, do they have the maturity to use that properly? You know, do, do they because, you know, if you think about this, like what if, uh, you know, humanity were to cease to exist tomorrow? And so but but and then there's an afterlife and, there, and there, we're all there. We're kind of transitioning to some other, you know, bodied, embodied experience. Um, a lot of us would probably abuse whatever abilities those other bodies might have if they were enhanced from our own. You know, so our next iteration wouldn't exactly necessarily you know, be like wiser or more mature, but we might be able to do more damage. Right. So I think that could very well be what's happening with some of these others, that they uh, have a greater technological ability, but not necessarily greater wit wisdom or control or maturity with respect to these uh, abilities. Obviously, that is entirely speculative, but um mm it's a lot of power and uh if the us or any other government you know can manipulate that and and use it to its advantage then absolutely that would be the ultimate uh, trump card wouldn't it would it not yeah you, you know gotta, you're gonna... mm -hmm. so, go on holly me just you know we we see a lot of things from the ancient world of, of them possessing uh consciousness type technology more than we had and one often, I often think this to myself that keeps me up at night. Did the ancients possess an understanding of consciousness and how to use remote viewing, how to use, you know, all of their extra abilities that gave them perhaps some kind of advantage evolutionary at that time? We Did humans possess this, this, this knowledge? Then we lost it somehow. And the fact that, that we don't understand how it's used in this day and age I find really, really interesting because, you know, you look at what the ancients built and they had had knowledge without the technology of aquifers under stone circles. They had they had they had not knowledge of the, the celeste, the way the, the, the heavens moved and they had knowledge that they just couldn't possess without perhaps 
without having a technology spanned over thousands of miles someone in you know in in the the near australia the pacific out there would have the same knowledge as someone out in south america and they weren't flying around to tell each other so how how did they possess this type of knowledge if it wasn't on some kind of information consciousness highway and i do think that we've lost it perhaps now but you know, looking at the work that Dr. Gary Nolan's doing and, and experiences that have been near craft or something's happened to them, and part of their brain that's responsible for consciousness is enlarged. Is it happening because it is evolutionary kind of advantageous to happen? I am just the speculative queen. I'm just going to put it out there. <laughs> no, no, I mean, I love that. I mean, I think it's safe to say that our ancient ancestors... Um, certainly we're leaning on skills and abilities that we really don't rely on very much anymore in Amen. our materialist world, right? We're, we, uh -huh. we kind of walk around with these technological crutches uh, that enable us to do a lot of amazing things. But, but because we lean on those things, we don't develop and kind of work those other muscles that maybe are part of our, 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 our toolkit. And so it's very conceivable that, you know, again, being speculative mm -hmm. here, but it's conceivable that there's this uh, kind of deeper intuition, uh, this deeper way of knowing that ancient people may have uh, possessed and been quite adept at using. Um, I love the idea of that, right? I mean, to me, the romantic in me is like, yeah, that's so cool. And I want to, I want to know what that looks like, you know, what, what could they do? Yeah, totally. And there's a lot of connections you can you can sort of put piece together again speculatively. But one thing Frank mentioned there, he brought up Skinwalker Ranch, that automatically automatically made me think of the work of Colonel John Alexander, who I know Frank knows really well, and you know he's got links to a lot of studies into non-lethal weaponry. But then you know if you think about the advanced theoretical physics working group, like could there be connections there between some kind of consciousness-based or advanced kind of technology that utilizes something non-lethal that's not you know your, your average guns and and physical weaponry you know it, it throws up so many questions for me but i find it fascinating again speculatively but yeah really interesting it's speculative hour it has to be yeah absolutely i want to add one quickly guys <laughs> sure go ahead i want to add one quickly I mean, if you were going to go if, you, if we were to go um, full on David Jacobs, right? Um, and I respect his work and I'm fascinated, always been fascinated by his work. So if, if you assume speculatively that there's a highly advanced alien race on earth and they're slowly uh, basically taking over the human race uh, by uh, you know, breeding with us um, and using our DNA and basically replacing us with uh, hubris, you know, aliens that look like humans and they're gonna keep a small group of humans basically as slave labor and that they rely on telepathy for power then that would be very, very scary because, uh, you know, your military, you'd have to um, be able to train your operators so they could, um, you know, counter this telepathic power. So they control. Uh, you'd be worried about your national command authority being taken over and, uh, you know, the, your, your president and your key decision makers being assassinated by members of their security detail who are actually alien hybrids. So you want to have people, humans, who can identify them. And you'd also want to be able to, you know, remote view. You'd also want to be, you know, be able to remote view their activities, uh, their, their, their craft, how their craft work, the technologies, what their intentions are, where they come from, their witnesses, you know, their combat effectiveness, organization, you know, intentions and locations, basically. So those are all things that you'd want to do from like a you know, military intelligence perspective if you were just looking at it speculatively. 
But um, you know, there, there's a lot of things going on around us that are invisible and they interact with us, and we don't know what they are. And some of them seem to be benign, and some of them seem to be not benign. So if you, you talk to an adductee, that's an absolutely horrible experience. If you talk to an experiencer, then by the nature of themselves calling it themselves an experience, it's more maybe of a benign experience that they've had. Um, so you've really got to err on the side of caution. I think take the good with the good, but also be prepared for the bad. And I think the military uh, and and you know the groups like. Um, uh, you know, that, that, that uh, like Nick Redfern has mentioned and the Collins elite, you know, some people were deeply disturbed by, um, you know, the, the, these, uh, uh, these other entities and the fact that they may be demonic, for example. So that was just a point that I wanted to put in there. Yeah, thank you, Frank. I know, DJ, you wanted to get on this too. Yeah, for one thing, I want to say to everybody, I just want to reset that uh, just to let everybody know the other projects. So uh, Nathan here, uh, the co-conspirator of this joint, is also the host of uh, Liminal Frames, along with Exo Academian, and he's also hosting a new once-a-month show called Perturbations with Kelly Chase of the UFO Rabbit Hole, and uh, I'd like everybody to check that out and give that, yeah, what's up, Holly, and give that one some love, a like, and a subscribe as well, as well as you should do for this show if you if you so desire. And uh, the host of The Weird Sisters, that's W-Y-R-D-E, The Weird Sisters on YouTube. Don't know if they're on podcast because Holly's ignoring me when I ask her that question. If not, we will get her on po podcast in short order. Uh, and, of course, the host of the Disclosure team, the legend who's going to be speaking <laughs> in Roswell, <laughs> Vinny Adams, my brother, um, both sport and the Union Jack. Uh, we have... Uh, some of us on here that are American that absolutely love uh, British culture. And so this episode basically is a celebration of uh, British culture from Americans. Uh, we love it. And that's why we've put this together twice. And there will be a thrice. And we'll try to get some new people on, including a brother, a sister from the Republic of Ireland. Get up in this joint. <laughs> and someone from Scotland. So gotcha. we got to get that in. We didn't get McGrill in, unfortunately, but maybe we can get another Scotsman on here uh, and another Irish person uh, for the next one. So my thoughts on this topic, on the brilliant question posed by Miss Holly Ann Wood, is that um, as an empath, that's how I'm going to look at this, uh, as an empath, uh, which, which is me. And so I'm going to try to ask each panelist here to put themselves in the position of either sec death or president, if you will. And if you are, so now I am president of my country, whatever country that happens to be, uh, or I am secretary of defense or minister of defense. And so now we're asking ourselves the question, can I weaponize my knowledge of consciousness to give me an advantage over who my rivals are? who the competitors are, or maybe even to the rising to the level of enemy are. Is that Russia? Is that China? Whoever that, that country is. Now you're asking me as an empath, if I'm placing myself in a position of responsibility over the defense of my nation, would I weaponize that? So I'll ask all of you that question. Would you weaponize your knowledge of consciousness that you got from these experiencers and people that you brought in like, uh, through the Hal Putoff initiative. Wow. Take it around. Yeah, Would you weaponize Absolutely, without doubt. Yeah. Okay, <laughs> yeah. Frank is easy. Shoot. That's why I said shooting fish in a barrel. Vin and Nathan and Holly, 
Uh, yeah, I suppose I'd use that term as uh, I wouldn't use weaponized how we think about it as in a uh, um, in a bad way. I'd use it as I'd weaponize it to spread positivity if I had some mm. knowledge to spread spread it globally. You know, I know that that's sounds really corny and cheap. As SecDef, that's not your mission. Your then, mission is defending your country. So would you use it to gain an advantage? That's all. Let me say it. That well, way. I, I I guess I'd have to, wouldn't I, if that was my You'd job? Have to. Right. Yeah. Then yeah, I would do my job. I would honor my my you know what I signed up to do. Then there is no question. I'd have to, otherwise I'd be a, a traitor, or I would, you know, yep. let Spreading down my positivity. Country. Your disclosure team or cab, <laughs> but we're not we're not SecDef or president. <laughs> I thought we so. were going a little bit more like you know. I was with you, Vinny, you, on that one. We'd spread yeah, a positivity. You know, I was trying to. Be, yeah. I like your line no, of thinking, though. I, I if do I'm it. sticking to the mission uh, in, in, on a, in a as you say it straight down the line, then no question. I would, I would do what I have to do. What I signed up for. It's my job. That's my role. It's my, that's, that's my it. duty. Your, your PD doesn't say spread positivity when you sign on a sec def or president or, uh, or even, uh, uh, in the UK, the, the, the prime minister, it doesn't say spread positivity. No, I think what I got from it is nation. that as, as a person in power, rather than just automatically go to a, a weaponized aspect, I would then start going more diplomatic and, and using yeah. alternative routes to spread a message rather than just going straight to war. That's sure. kind of the angle I was going at. But, yeah. you know. No, you're right. Weaponized <laughs> has a negative connotation. Use it to yeah, your yeah. advantage would be the better way to say it, whatever cool. that can route I, that takes. Can I just resign? <laughs> you already have. You didn't apply for the position, Nathan. Yeah, I don't want yeah. to that one. Uh, absolutely. I mean, how could you not? Um, but I do like Vinny where you landed with the diplomatic influence. I think that, that would be probably its primary use case. Uh, although, once that knowledge becomes well known, it would trickle into every facet of the apparatus, right? So. Uh, if it were known at the diplomatic level, the sort of head of the state level, then I think it would be used there in negotiation uh, to influence uh, outcomes in favor of the state. But once people know you can do that, they're going to want to get it down to the lowest level and, and you know influence operations on the ground or wherever they may be. Right. So uh, that's powerful, powerful stuff. Debs. I don't really like answering moral questions like this one. <laughs> It's, because it's not it's not a, it's not a moral question. <laughs> yeah. Once, well, you've it, it, once you've signed on to that job, it's not it. You don't. You then you just don't sign up for that job. Uh, well, that, let me put it. it let me put it. Just this resign. Way. Yeah, that's what I would do. But let me let me just say this: the people who decided to make the atom bomb and then use the atom bomb, essentially, to me, it's the same. They did it. They did it because they felt like it was the right thing to do. It was catastrophic and they you know they did it one more time i was going to say they never did it again but they did it one more time and then you know they continued to try to make other bombs so you know if that's anything that kind of tells us what would happen and the consequences so yeah i mean i don't know if it's a defect of an atom bomb of destroying an entire city but it's just the idea of it but i know i i knew that you would have that response that's not surprising and i i get it it's it's you know, if you're, it, it's just, again, it's taking you, it, this requires the ability to take you out of what you think and how you feel and have you sign on to something that may go against some of your personal beliefs. It's the same as going to war. You know, Frank's done it. I've done it. 
you may fire on somebody and kill somebody, and I'm against that, right? But I've signed on to say I'm going to do this. I don't have a choice, and I've done this. Frank's done this. I don't have a choice to say I don't want to do this now. Otherwise, get in the back of the bus and then head off to Leavenworth, and we'll figure out to do with what you with you when you get there. So you don't you don't get that choice. You know, once you sign on to a position, you know that going in that you're going to have to make this call. Now, hopefully, uh, again, it's leverage and not weaponize. So putting it in that, that, that can kind of change how you think about it. Uh, weaponize is one thing. And by the way, Deb, I don't, man, Hiroshima and Nagasaki just, you know, it makes me sick to think about it. Well, I'm, I've learned from my dad that no soldier ever wanted to do these bad things that they had to do. That was orders and considered to be protecting people. Ultimately, I understand that. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. All right. Well, I think we're coming to our last round here. Yeah. Uh, Frank, I'm going to let you introduce this topic unless you want to jump back in on that last one before you do. Yeah, I just want to jump back on the last one. I mean, if I was the U.S. Secretary of Defense and if I have to, um, you know, I'm looking at China has stated they, they want to surpass the United States in military, economic and technological terms by 2049, which is incidentally uh, the time by which 2050, by which Eric Davis said that we have to have uh, technology that approximates those of the Tic Tacs in case they become aggressive. Too. So I'm trying to manage two different sources of threat here. Um, no, the Chinese put the, their own concentration camp. So do I really want them dominating the United States and the rest of the world by 2049? No, I don't. Um, Russia has shown, um, you know, once again, it's kind of like World War II brutality in Ukraine. So do I want them, um, you know, extending that brutality you know, outside of Syria and Ukraine and other countries? No, I don't. They need to be put back in their box. Uh, the mullahs in Tehran, they want nuclear weapons, right? So they need to be dealt with too. Um, the DPRK, the lovely, you know, the dear leader in Pyongyang, he's also a problem. So he needs to go too. So if I can, you know, you, you weaponize um, these kind of technologies and I can, uh, you know, I'm not talking about, you know, decapitation strike to take out their, their, their decision makers, but if I can, uh, you know, take out their, their nukes and, and their means of basically, you know, uh, you know, threatening their neighbors, then, then I will do that and make sure that, um, you know, America and peace-loving nations uh, continue to dominate, um, you know, the international space. So I'm happy yeah. with that. I mean, I'm, I can introduce my topic as well. Yeah, please do. Thank you. Yeah, guys, well, thanks for the, the really fascinating ones that have gone before. And actually, they go really nicely into um, what I was about to talk about, which was to ask the question, has there been a deliberate policy on the, on the part of uh, certain governments, principally um, the United States and, and the United Kingdom, um, to shoot down UAP for whatever reason? So we know we already talked about the Milton Torres case in the UK. Um, we know about the 1976 Tehran case. We know about the 1980 Peru case. Okay, those were all with, um, uh, with uh, you know, project, uh, projectile weapons. So in 1957, it was, um, it was 3.5 inch rockets. Um, in 1976 Tehran case, uh, they attempted to use uh, uh, radar homing, and they also had uh, infrared seeking missiles. In the 1980 Peru case, they attempted to shoot down a, U uh, a UAP with a 23 millimeter cannon. Um, more recently, there's been an interview by um, um, James Landoli with, with Elizondo. So Elizondo said um, there may be some significance to the electro electromagnetic pulse, uh, but he says this is pure speculation at the moment, but based on some potential observations, he said there may be some truth that, a, that an EMP of energy can interfere with whatever this technology is in its propulsion, basically destroying uh, the field around the craft so that it negates its anti-gravity and the thing falls out the sky. So that to me would indicate, yes, there's a possibility that... Uh, 
you know, some weapons have been developed by the US to bring down UAP. Now, in my first paper as well, I interviewed uh, Dr. Jack Sarfati about this. I also um, talked to Colonel John Alexander. Um, there were also claims, remember, made at the citizens' hearing on disclosure. I think it was in 2011 or 12, was it? Or was it earlier? Anyway, um, there was, um, and I don't put a lot of, I don't put a lot on these allegations, but um, uh, Stephen Greer was saying that there were up to nine claims that up to nine UFO, he claimed up to nine UFOs were brought down by what he called electromagnetic pulse weapons. Okay, now Dr. Uh, now um, Dr. Jack Sofati doesn't agree with that, and neither does uh, John Alexander. But what I wanted to ask was, um, so do we think that there's a deliberate policy by certain governments to bring down UAP? And the natural follow-up question to that be to that question would be why? Interesting. Yeah, that's a great one, Vinny. Um, it's a really difficult one to answer if there's actually been direct, um, look, you know, rules made with certain weapons to bring them down. It, what what I think about when I think about shooting down UAP is the general rules of engagement. Now, whether that's the rules of engagement during a wartime, the rules of engagement, whether it's NATO, the US or, or anything, you know, if uh, an aircraft, for example, encounters a UAP in sensitive airspace, is it, uh, is it shown on radar? Has it, has it got a transponder? Can they identify it? Uh, have they given ample warning via radio communications? Uh, I suppose, have they fired warning shots? And if all of those things go out the window, I guess the next thing to do, correct me if I'm wrong, I don't know the ins and outs of military, but is then to fire on something if it's if it's in sensitive airspace. And then I guess what Frank is saying is that there are specialist weapons or units that maybe have been sent out to purposefully fire on these, these UAP. I don't know. I, I really don't know. It, could it be possible? Absolutely. But it always makes me go back to kind of what are the rules of engagement? People say the problem is that uh, us as a human race are, are so aggressive that we shoot at these things. But, you know, if you look at uh, and take stories like what we hear from Ryan Graves, that these things are in, uh, seen in sensitive training operation grounds, uh, you know, on a daily basis. Where do you draw the line? You know, how much warning do you give these things because they could be a potential threat? So it, it, to me, it opens up a whole lot of questions. So I, I hope that's a, a good enough answer. Yeah, thank you. Holly. Mute. You're on mute. <laughs> the best. It's an interesting one, isn't it? And it, it strikes me as... as you know, really odd in the terms that we're, we're willing to, to fire at them, but are we willing to try and communicate with them? What are our communication efforts? You know, and I always come back to that point when was it um, that event earlier this year, Vinny and I were at, when Rick Doty was talking about, you know, the secret space program and, and you know, some of the, the, the secret tools that we had to, to shoot at them as they were entering in and out of our atmosphere and stuff. But I just kept, kept, and maybe it's my naivety and living in a, you know, dreamland that I occupy most of the time, but, you know, we're shooting, but are we communicating first? And again, it goes back to what Vinny's just said. It's that rules of engagement. I, you know, I can't profess to know anything really about, about that side of life at all, but, you know, what efforts are being made to communicate with them? I, you know, I'd like to know that first. Yeah, that's a great point. Um, yeah, I don't have any, you know, particularly great insider info here. 
but uh, from what we've heard from other anecdotal reports, we we have. Um, and I can think of even uh, Tom DeLong, who mentioned that Starfish Prime was uh, in part designed to do that in the upper atmosphere uh, or lower Earth atmosphere. Um, the Virginia case. I mean, let's talk about that. You know, if that actually happened as it was described, we had a craft that seemed uh, damaged in some way. And then not long after it was downed, we had a military presence that sounded off an awful lot to me, like they knew exactly that where it was going to be and how it might have gotten there. Uh, so that hints at, 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 at a coordinated effort. Um, and then, Deb, I know you, you've mentioned before uh, some things like Project Moondust, uh, the active collection effort uh, of, of crash retrieval. If you have a crash retrieval program, well, you 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 know you're you don't doing that just for fun. You know you know what you're doing. You're, you're going out to retrieve these objects, and uh, you've got a, an organized process in place to do so. Um, so that tells me that you you know what you're doing. You're, you're targeting these things and you're going after them. Uh, so I don't know the the evidence, the uh, circumstantial evidence, anyway, seems like it's fairly strong or pointing in that direction, in my opinion. Yeah, we, we actually have quite a lot of FOIAs on the exploitation of these objects. Um, granted, we were also trying to exploit satellites and space debris, right? So there's some muddled waters there, but it does stand out that Luke basically said, of course we would have tried to take them down. Like they're flying over our ships. However, I will say that I have heard an insider say there's a protocol, there's like three steps of decision-making before they would shoot one down. And if it doesn't reach all three of those levels, they would probably just ignore them, believe it or not, <laughs> which is a little shocking, but that's, that's just how that works. Mm -hmm. I guess the one thing that's one thing that scares me is we hear about baiting UAP. Mm. It would, it would mortify me to think that we were baiting these things into then shoot at them. You know, that would just be the, the, the really bad far end of the spectrum when it comes to this kind of question. So. If it's mm -hmm. comfort at all, I don't think that they are all occupied. Yeah, I don't. I agree. And I think there's a good chance that we may know enough to know which ones are and which ones are not. Nice. I like that answer. It makes me feel better. Thank you, Deb. Mm -hmm. <laughs> well, I want to hear from DJ here. DJ, what do you think about that? Uh, I'm going to have to take a pass on this one and just say I hope not. Okay, sounds good. Excellent. Well, uh, that oops, sorry, Frank, please. Sorry, yeah. sorry. Can, can I just revisit um, what I said about Condine because it explains some of the, the points that have been brought up, which are all very good points. Yeah. So I mean, if we, you know, in Condine, they said that uh, you know they'd be considered a threat if controlled unidentified air objects could successfully penetrate the defended airspace of the UK air defense region. So we're not talking about a Russian aircraft that's approaching the UK air defense identification zone and is 50 kilometers off the coast. And, you know, a typhoon goes up and says, uh, hi, you know, Russian aircraft, sorry, you're approaching our airspace. Please can you turn away? This is, it's already inside British airspace, like deep inside the UK. Uh, and it also says with hostile intent in peace, crisis or war. So when you're saying, when you're saying a controlled unidentified air object, that means that you don't understand what it is on the radar. And unidentified, that means that you've tried to hail it, respond, and it's already like, you know, over Fazlane Lane nuclear base or, you know, and it's in peace, crisis or war. Um, then the potential damage in terms of physical effects, electronic effects, or the possibility of an air hazard or a collision. So if it's already inside the UK and it hasn't been identified, and they don't know what it's doing there, then it's considered a threat. 
objects within the airspace are found to be hostile if challenged, i.e. they don't answer if they're challenged, and invulnerable to radar tracking, and can outmaneuver our airborne or ground-based air defenses. So, yeah, I think you'd be pretty worried about that. And then the last one is controlled objects that enter and leave the UK air defense region, having possibly obtained intelligence data, imagery, electronic intelligence, which is why you want to keep them as far away from your coast as possible, as far away from your airspace. Now, I'm not saying that they shouldn't try and communicate with them. Certainly they should. But I think um, if you have things shutting down your nukes, flying over, uh, you know, sensitive carrier battle groups, uh, strike groups, then if that were the North Koreans doing that or the Chinese or the Russians, that would very much be considered like hostile intent and you'd want to escort them away. And if they came too close, then, um, you know, potentially you would have a, an intercept situation. But uh, all this, those points that you got brought up were, were very, very good. Yeah, this if, if you were to look at a military aviation chart, like uh, you're going pulling charts because you're going to be flying like intercontinental, you'd see like around the UK, the aid is that he spoke with ADIZ. And it would show you that if you if you fly past that perimeter uh, and your little airplane will appear on your moving map that you're penetrating their ADAs and you're subject to intercept if you don't have clearance to be in that in that airspace. That's what uh, Frank's talking about there. I'm trying to remember the other aspect that he was talking. Oh, so the guard freak. So Deb and I and Nathan have talked about this before, the guard frequencies. So if you're on VHF, it would be like 121.5. And as Frank knows, on UHF, it would be uh, one, oh boy, 243. Oh my God, I almost forgot that. <laughs> <laughs> so what's happening is if, if I were talking to Holly on 122.750, but somebody is talking on 121.5, it would appear louder than Holly and Mai's community. We would hear that coming right into our communications uh, if we had that pulled up, we had guard pulled up it would actually be louder than our voices to one another. So we'd go, oh, somebody's on guard. And so if you were trying to hail a UFO on UHF and VHF, you'd be transmitting on both those frequencies and calling out to it, saying whatever you're saying to try to identify it. Can I just Absolutely. chime in that I don't think, like, I mean, I don't, I obviously am not in the military. I don't have all the answers with this, but I don't think that we would just shoot if we saw a sub that was an enemy sub in our waters either. Right. We would have to do the same thing. We need to follow the protocols. But of course, in this case, we're talking about something that would be very difficult to shoot. <laughs> yeah. To know so. that, again, you would have to know the rules of engagement. And I have yeah. no idea what the rules of engagement are on sub submariner warfare. So I couldn't even venture a guess. But I do know what happens in aerospace encounters like that. And again, I, I, I'd like to weigh in on this, but I just can't. Mm. Yeah. Excellent discussion, though. That was a great one, Frank. Thank you. Um, well, I think we're kind of come to the end of the of the back and forth. This has been a marathon session, and everybody, I appreciate it, particularly given the late time that it is in the UK. So uh, we don't take it for granted that you guys were willing to spend some of your free time with us. We really appreciate that. But the um, voting, Nathan, the voting know, after uh, these guys check off. I know we are going to do that. So uh, we will. We want to thank all of you. Again, and those of you who had to leave a little bit early, want to thank those as well. I know we missed Graham, but we'll get him back at another time. Um, and all of the folks from Zeppelin, we thank them uh, as well and look forward to uh, the vote. This is going to be a tough one, DJ. I mean, they're, they're very different <laughs> sessions, very different it sessions. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, let's, let's, let's deliberate. So with that uh, said, uh, thank you, Frank you and Holly and Vinny, and we will uh, be in touch shortly. Thank you, you so guys. much, guys. Thank, thank you. So thank much. you.
Love you guys. Thank Thanks you. very much, guys. Honor as always. And nice to meet Take you, care. Holly. Bye. Thank you, Vinny. Take Thank care. you, Frank. Thank you, Holly. Bye. Wow. All right. Whew. That was good stuff right there. And we only went we only went what uh, a half hour over, which I thought it was a great. It was time well spent. Yeah, I mean, just so many uh, great thinkers there. Good conversation. Uh, you know, it's a real treat uh, actually that we're we're grateful to have so many wonderful people uh, to to have that chat with, and and the fact that they're in the UK is just incredible. This uh, topic spans so many different countries and backgrounds, and uh, it's great to we can have a platform we can have that discussion. Illustrated by Vinny having that back and forth with Dave Smethurst about the hat on backwards. It, you know, these guys would never know each other except for this topic. Right. Right. Exactly. That's a great point. Yeah. All right. Well, how do we get started here? So um, maybe we'll just start with Deb. Deb, what, what, what are your thoughts? Uh, your first takeaway here that the two groups. I have to say, despite the technical difficulties that happened with the second group, I think I would go with that one because we covered not only experiencer situations, we went into consciousness, but we also talked about reports. I love reports. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I'm going with the second. <laughs> You're kidding. Deb's Data Dojo. Who knew? Well, right? we want you to pick. Let me just make sure we get the ROEs of this discussion. You, What we want you to do is pick one person out of those two groups that you thought had the best topic because that's who's going to win. That group is going to win. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> that's what yeah. we're doing here. I've got two, and I'll give you guys two to consider and then see what you guys think and then come to a final conclusion from there. But why don't you go? Yeah, like he said. Mm. I'm gonna if go you with... want to pose two, you can pose two. Okay, I'll say and Holly we'll and Vinny. Like... Okay. Okay, Money. Holly and Vinny. Uh, let's see. So, and that, that was from just this session. Do you want to do the, the Zeppelin side as well, Deb, or do you, are we just, yeah, that's what I mean. Two overall for both, for both groups. Yeah. Mm. Two overall. Um, or one from each, would that be the way to say it? Yeah. One from each, I think. Yeah. Yeah. That's the way. Okay. I'm going to go with Ash coming in (laughs) and talking about overturning reality. (laughs) <laughs> my god that was good so ash and holly you have yeah that's fine i'll go with that yes money yeah i i uh i'm gonna go with, with ash and Vinny, um because i like Vinny's question it, it speaks to that sort of what kinds of things need to be need to take place for it to really get rooted in in the wider conversation throughout the world um so yeah, no, I, man, so many good good ones though. I mean, I just it was it's yeah yeah. What about you, I'm going to go with Ash and Holly, um, and based on uh, the majority here, I think it's Ash because Vinny alluded to that question by saying, "What's it going? Uh, will what will people think of if James Fox's evidence is re- is re- that film is revealed?" And right. what a- Ash asked was the actual question that you just said. Mm-hmm. Ash mm-hmm. actually asked that question. He right. actually said, what, w- um, what will be the next step if disclosure happens? What's the next? So uh, I, I, it, I have to I go th- with Ash, and therefore I go Zeppelin. I think all of us have picked Ash think, out, of the, out yeah. of the whole group. 
I was going to say, uh, we uh, all went ash. I think we all wanted to overturn reality, guys. It seems it seems that way, yeah. <laughs> well, uh, in typical uh, Nathan fashion, uh, I actually have two sets of art. I have 10 pieces total, uh, so I can give both teams something. Uh, and awesome. given how the conversation kind of went, I think it turned out really appropriate. So, yeah, um, that's great. so to, to the Zeppelin team, uh, who really brought conversation about how this affects us from on a societal level, uh, a macro scale, I've got, uh, these pieces here, oh! which are each of these are, are similar, but they're unique. Uh, oh. so there are five, uh, that we'll give out to that group. Oh I'm just going to, God flip through you get a little different alien fellow wow. who's in each one but wow. uh, kind of a, a london scene there um and then uh because of the very personal nature of the second part of our conversation with the who which i felt it did feel very personal to me it felt more intimate uh maybe because we had a smaller group uh we're gonna go with a, an actual being uh and and a little nod to you dj these are dj aliens uh, so I'm going to show those real quickly here. <laughs> so we have five unique DJ aliens uh, that will be given to the who. So they each have a little bit of a different facial feature and uh, and kind of, I guess, like, like it's a, a weapon or something. Or maybe it's a musical instrument on the back. I don't know. Um, so that, there we go. Yeah. <laughs> wow, that is great. So, all right. So we'll announce a winner, but everybody is going to get a prize just because that's Cap. Um, that's it yeah that's how we do it yeah ash was like something like uh the phenomenon linked to consciousness uh somber is it fundamental fundamental to reality shocks and is the shock the reason for secrecy and stuff like that that's right that's kind of like the effect so yeah that's great all right that i i love that the 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 answer to all that i was wondering why there was a second nathan i thought it was the nathan from another reality that came into the show could be so yeah <laughs> <laughs> no way to know all right yeah all right cool nobody else is on so we'll announce it on twitter yep um and this is great man i, I thought it went really well and and 30 minutes over for that amount of great content i thought it was well worth it yeah incredible group all right you take us out dj oh we st we're still live yeah, we are. Oh my goodness. Okay. Hey, we can thank our All audience right. as well for hanging in there with us. Wow. This audience. Thank you so much. <laughs> thank you, Jules uh, of the wood for hanging in there. And this is amazing. I didn't even know we were alive, but, uh, um, that was great, man. What a, what an amazing conversation from all these folks. Uh, and everybody is going to win a piece of money, Nathan artwork, but the actual winner is team Zeppelin with Ash who came and just really brought it. And boy, We've got to get him on an episode like shortly. We gotta we'll get Ash and Holly on maybe. <laughs> maybe that'll be the duo that we'll bring on is Ash and Holly on a on a joint episode to discuss things. Um uh Ash has got a, I I don't wanna spill all his beans there, but he has a, a, a an incredible background with the British government. And uh boy are we lucky to have him. Holly uh, great background in entertainment and advertising and with the weird sisters. Uh, she was, uh, used to be on radio in the UK and now she's going to be back doing uh, big things with, with this show, with, uh, the three ladies on there with her. So, uh, for Debs, uh, for Nathan, for cab, this is DJ saying peace out. 
one love. We'll see you down the road. And as always, we're always wondering what's up around the bend.